Good evening. Here we meet again in Bet Shemesh every once in a while. You're saving me from stoning because when I come to Israel for a few weeks, everybody drives me crazy. Why? You don't have any lectures in English? So now I'm going to post this one tomorrow. I have another week of uh, peace of mind. As you know, unfortunately, every few months when we meet, the situation in the world is only getting worse. It's only getting worse. Not only the COVID and the consequences of COVID, we're now actually living in the middle of the prophecy of the Gemara. Before I'm going to go into the topic, I almost forgot. This shiur will be Leilui Nishmat Aviel Hangshing and the Fuash Lema of it's going to be hard to read. Okay, of all the people of this list, and uh, I cannot understand this handwriting. And Leilui Nishmat Avraham Ben Yehuda and Zivug Agun of Nesia Okip and Rachel Okip. Uh, and everyone that is in this list, and I couldn't read their name. Hashem knows, don't worry. Uh, so, as I started to say, the situation get worse in the world. We are in the middle of a prophecy of the Gemara in Masechet Sota, that before the Mashiach would come, certain things will happen in the world. And one of them is Ayoker Ya'amir. There's going to be massive inflation. In, if, I don't know if you're aware, but you know everything here follows the United States. So in the United States, in the last six months, some things became double on the price. Not 5% more, 10% more, double. Like car leases that you could have got for 3, 320, now went to 6 something. Same cars. Everything went up like crazy. Real estate goes up, everything goes up. And you wonder to yourself how long this balloon will survive until there will be a massive explosion. The chief of police of uh, California, of Los Angeles, spoke two days ago in an interview on a video, and he said, I encourage everyone, do not come to California. Do not come to Los Angeles. We lost the ability to protect you from the crime. We cannot help, we cannot protect you. There is massive amount of murders and crime and violence. Everyone we arrest, before we even fill up the police report, is back on the street with his liberal judges so the police is worthless, basically. We cannot help you. I care about your life. I urge you, do not come to California on Christmas. I cannot vouch for your life. Did you ever hear in the history of this world a chief of police in any country, in any city, that comes live and say to the people, I do not have the ability to do my job. Why? I'm dealing with morons. 
Sleepy join his friends and all these liberal judges, which unfortunately some of them are Jews. But it's not only them, it's the system, the whole system. And uh, they did everything they can to destroy the world. Destroy the world. Just like here, they do the same thing with the Arabs and rights and all these things. Someone sent yesterday a picture. A picture of a prisoner from Egypt. Looked like a skeleton. Like this tripod. You, ne you never saw, you know how the Jews looked in the Holocaust? You saw those pictures, exactly like that he looks. Only bones. Nothing else, just bones. Bones and skin. And there are a prisoner in Israel. Table, peanuts, cashew nuts, hummus. Let me show you a picture of an Arab prisoner in Egypt and an Arab prisoner in Israel. And where do you get the criticism? Here. Nobody dared to talk about Egypt being aggressive with the Arabs or Palestinians. That's the hypocrisy of the world. So, as you know, when there is uh, inflation, it creates poverty. When there is poverty, a lot of people break mentally. And when they break mentally, their spiritual level goes down. Their children goes down, they go down, the parents, they get depressed. Someone told me today, my brother used to be successful in business, but three years, he did not make a penny here in Israel until he had to move in with me and my sister in a tiny one-bedroom apartment. And he does not speak one word in the whole month. That's how depressed he is. So what's going to happen now? I said, well, he needs mental assistance. She said, I don't think there's anything can help him. Totally depressed. Go and save someone like that. There's a lot of people like this here. Not only here, in America, it's the same thing. What you see here, it's over there. Sometimes it's worse here, sometimes it's worse there. But more or less the same idea. The only positive thing here that we know that the Gemara already told us that these things will happen before the Mashiach would come. Otherwise, it will be extremely discouraging. At least now we know all these things would happen in the world. This is the plan of Hashem before the Geulah. And Ben David Ba, The Mashiach will not come until everybody will have empty pockets. Complete empty pockets. What does it mean, empty pockets? There's two ways to, ex to explain it. One, that everyone will be poor, which is not realistic. Because there's never such thing that everyone will be poor. It has to be rich people. Even from the good days, they save, so they have enough money to live for an extra few more years. It cannot be that everybody would lose everything. What? Well, the world would still have buildings. Someone will have to own it. So what does it mean everyone will be poor? So I think that the meaning here is that no one will have cash. Yeah, you may have buildings, you may have homes, houses, business, cars. Cash, no one will have. Either because you're not going to be able to get anything for anything. It's not going to be business transactions. Or because the dollar is crashing, so everyone hoping that it's going to go up. And how is it going to go up? The Israeli government, 
they want to keep the dollar high. It's very bad for them that the dollar goes down. Why? No one would import from Israel. If America has to buy a weapon from Rafael, one of those companies, it's a hundred million dollar deal. With the rate of the dollar right now, they have to actually pay 125 million dollars for the same weapon, extra 25 million, because it used to be four shekel and now it's three. So what do you think they do? They go to a different country. When over there, it's an attractive price. So the Israelis, they live of export. Fruits, vegetables, high-tech, weapon, you know? So they need the dollar to be up. So no matter what they do, the dollar keeps going down. Just last week, they bought billions of dollars. You know how much money the Israeli government has on the side? How much dollars they bought, you know? 250 billion dollars they have on reserve right now. They've been buying in the last few years. Every week or two, they buy another 10 billion, another 5 billion to keep the dollar up. What do you think will happen when the Bank of Israel, Bank Israel, will decide to sell all these dollars? One day they're going to have to sell it. If they're going to put over $200 billion in the market, the dollar will crash to one shekel. It's just the question is when it's going to happen. And you know what it means? That all the Jews that live in America, I don't know, five, six million of them, some of them are very wealthy, in a week or two, everything they own will become a third or a quarter overnight. Meaning if someone has $100 million, the dollar will crash, and as $100 million became $25 million. And if someone has $10 million, it becomes $2.5 million. Can't even buy a house in change. And if someone has less than a million, which most of the people are like that, it's going to become nothing. So when people would want to make Aliyah, they would not be able to afford even a bathroom here. They miss the train. How are they going to make Aliyah? What are they going to buy? Can't even afford anything. There's another problem. All the yeshivot in Israel are surviving thanks to American money. If you take out the donations from America, at least half of the callers in the yeshivot will shut down. Now when it went down 25%, the poor Avrechim, the little that they used to make, is worth even less and the prices of everything goes up, is Mamash Hashem choking us to the limit. It's Mamash scary. I thought to myself, I'm not such an expert in finance, but common sense a little bit I have. I have a way to bring the dollar up. In one month, bring it back to four. How? Who knows how? That's going to be a great thing to do. I will print a hundred billion shekel and give it out as a system to all the poor people in Israel. I will announce on the news that the government will print in the next two, three months a hundred billion shekel and every family will get 10,000 shekel, 20,000 shekel, assistant. Help with people that are losing their homes, like Sleepy Joe did. Same thing will do over here. Once they're going to print a lot of shekel, the shekel will collapse by 10, 20%. 
brings down the, I don't know what I'm doing it. What do they care? It's only papers. It serves the purpose. You kill two birds with one stone. If any one of you is an expert in finance, tell me if I'm wrong. I ask a few experts and say, you know what, it's a great idea. Why they don't do it? Why they insist to buy dollars? It reminds me a little bit of what the Muslims did. Many years ago, 1400 years ago, 1300 years ago, the Muslim wanted to build a mosque inside the Jewish temple, where Kodesh HaKodeshim was. But they had a problem. What was the problem? The problem was that the city of Jerusalem was much lower than the mountain where the temple was, Ara Moria. It's a big mountain. What happened to the old Arabs? They won't be able to climb 10 flights up. It's very difficult in the, in the sun to go and up and up and up. Every time they want to go on Friday to pray in a mosque, a lot of old people will not be able to make it. So they thought, what should we do? We have two options. One is to shave the mountain, lower it, bring a thousand Arabs, Mustafa, Said, Muhammad, Ahmed, they're very good in constructions, with shovels, and they're just gonna take all the sand and throw it out, and the mountain will come down by 20 meters or 30. That's it, it'll be barely a mountain. It doesn't have to be such a big mountain. The other option is to raise the floor of the entire area, which is much, much, much bigger than to shave a mountain 400 by 400. To shave a mountain will take a month. It'll take a thousand Arab workers. Each one works from morning to evening. They actually make it much, much lower, straight, nice, and they can build a mosque. To raise the entire city of Jerusalem do you know how difficult it is? I'll tell you what they did. They built arches, arch, and then they made another floor on top. And then they built arches again, and they made another floor. If you go down to the tunnel under the Kotel, the guy will explain to you that those arches is the Arabs, they wanted to lift the floor of Jerusalem and then build houses on the third floor, right? Because he had one floor, another one, and the third floor, that the people will be able to go to the mountain much, much, much easier. Who heard such a thing? You make the work a hundred times more difficult? Isn't it much easier to lower the mountain 400 by 400 and, you, and the rest of Jerusalem is fine? than to elevate the whole Jerusalem? Did you ever hear such stupidity? So if you think that the Arabs were very stupid in their decision, this time you are wrong. Why did they make such a foolish decision? It wasn't in their hand. Hashem forced them. Why Hashem forced them? Because we have a verse in Shira Shirim, Song of Songs, הנה זה עומד אחר קוטלנו, משגיח מן החלונות, מציץ מן החרקים. במדרש רבה, עונשי רשירים, says, הנה זה עומד, meaning you speak in a present language. 
Meaning in every generation and generation you will be able to say here is the western wall. And the Midrash say, why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu swore that the wall will never collapse. Why? The Shekhinah is in the west and the spirit of Hashem, the Shekhinah, is protecting the wall and Hashem swore that the wall will never fall down. Now what would happen if the Arabs decided to eliminate the mountain? The wall is on the side of the mountain. They will have to shave the whole wall with it. Right? The wall is attached to the side of the mountain. That's where they have the mask on top. So then you would not have a western wall. But there's a problem. The Midrash said that this wall can never ever disappear. So because there is a verse in a holy book, Hashem made the Arab work a hundred times more. I guess Hashem wants the dollar to be down, to choke us financially. That's why he made the Israeli government, instead of printing shekel, buying all the dollars, which they're never going to be able to use. Where would you find such foolishness? That's what Hashem wants. Doesn't matter how brilliant you are, banker, great, this, that, shtuyot. If Hashem wants, it goes up. If He wants, it goes down. And that's what He wants. He wants us to feel financial pressure. Why? Because the Gemara said, before Mashiach comes, that's what's going to be. Why Hashem wants us to have financial stress? What's the benefits of torturing everyone financially? Even the rich people, there's so much headache now with Corona. Do you know how many boats are stuck in the middle of the ocean for six months with billions of dollars merchandise in containers? They cannot deliver them to the port. You cannot get parts for your car. You have a brand new Hyundai. If you had a little accident, you need a sensor, you need a light. You cannot find it. The dealers don't have it in America. So your car is going to be in a collision shop six months. There's no, they don't have the sensor. Why? It's stuck in the middle of the ocean. Six months. Can't get parts. Same thing here. Can't get parts. Crash the person's ego. The crash, the crash their ego. Why will I... Sh- why would Hashem did such thing in the world? One reason is because half of the people do not want to get vaccinated. So they had to fire them. So let's see, I had 3,000 workers. Now you have only 1,500. They're not going to take care of all these containers when they get to the port. They don't have people. So they start speaking in the ocean. We don't have a storage room where to put you. We don't have people. Stay, stay in the ocean forever. Stand over there. That's one reason. Second reason, because of the COVID and all of that, if you wanted to bring a container from China to Israel, it was $1,000 per container shipping. It went up to 17000 Nobody wants to import. People say, we sit home and wait two years until this nightmare will end. I'm not going to pay for every container $17,000. It's not realistic. I used to pay 1000 So we are stuck. There's shortage in food and electronic and electric and cars and parts and chips. It's a mess. Hashem made a mess in the world. Rule number one, to show who the boss is. 
There's no more kochivots miyadi. Politicians are worthless. They can say, they can promise. We will do, we will help. Prices will go down, it only goes up. Whatever they say, the opposite happens. Second, to destroy their ego. But I'm going to tell you a story, you get the point. Many years ago, there used to be a big tzaddik. What was his name? Eliyahu Anavi. Elijah, in English. And he lived in the time of a very wicked king. His name was Ahav and his wife was Izevel. Izevel in Hebrew means she is garbage. Rav Ovadia say, Izevel, Kishma Keni. She was really garbage. And Ahav was even a bigger garbage than her. But, but, even though he was Mahti Arabim and he put idols and he influenced a lot of Jews to become idol worshippers, he had one thing about him that helped him a lot in life. What was his, what was his advantage? He was generous by supporting Torah scholars. Can you believe it? It's unbelievable. It's similar to what happened today. You can have a big Christian man and he's gonna, in a second, give you a million dollars for your yeshiva, even though he's very fanatic in his church. I had a, a big nisayon like this. There's one Jew, close to seven years old. I actually was him two, three years ago. He came by tshuva. One day he said to me, I know, a minister from Texas. He loves to give money to Jewish causes. I would like him to sponsor your entire organization and your yeshiva. I want you to write down a proposal of all your expenses and he's going to send you every month a check for everything you have to pay. Meaning that everything we do will go to the Christian church. Of course, he cannot accept such a thing. Because he's still an idol worshiper and fanatic in it. It's not that, oh, you know what, I decided to leave Christianity and instead of giving to the church, I'm going to give to the yeshiva. That's a different story. At least he become a going tzaddik. But right now we're talking about an, an idol worshiper. Why would he like to give to yeshiva? No contradiction. I believe in J.C. Penny. And at the same time, I believe the Torah is holy. There's no contradiction. I don't know if you follow the news, but two weeks ago, something unbelievable happened. The Israeli government, you know, they try to torture religious people, Orthodox, as much as they can. Like the Greeks. I don't know why they light Hanukkah candles. What's the connection between them and Hanukkah? They are the Greeks. Imagine now in, in Greece, they decide to light Hanukkah candles. We also celebrate Hanukkah, yeah, but you're on the wrong side. You are the losers. The losers don't celebrate. The winners get a trophy. What are you celebrating? Your defeat? But they're not getting the point. So, the Israeli government, this lefty, radical, liberal, anti-Torah, anti-Semite government, together with the Muslim brothers, we don't have to tell you their agenda and their ideology, to slaughter all of us, and they're not hiding it, made a government. 
מפיצים ישראלי סלד, או גריק סלד, אבל זה סלד. בנט דה קלאון, ליברמן דה נאצי, דה מוזלם בראדר, לפיד דה מורן, אבריבאדי טוגדר. They run the government now, unbelievable what's happening here. So they ride away, decide to torture the Orthodox Avrechim. How? No more babysitter for the kids. Wives of Avrechim who goes to war because she can put the kids in kindergarten for subsidized price. I don't know, half a price, a third of a price. We canceling. the support of the government, meaning you say that you want the religious people to go to work. So all the religious women, they go to work that their husband can learn Torah. So now you're actually making them unable to go to work. A bunch of liars. They just look to torture. They don't care. Work, now work. Whenever we can torture, let's do it. So they decide they don't want to give support to yeshivot. They cut the budget on Avrech Yeshiva from 800 shekel a month They're 270, less than 100 bucks. And you have to see how every week they come to check. They show up, hi, I'm an inspector. I have a list. Moshe Cohen, is here? Yeah, show me ID. Like the Nazis. One or two guys are missing, I disqualify your colleague. No more budgets. Not only that, they want all the money retroactive from people who don't have what to eat. So maybe it's an insult to the Greeks to compare this Rishayim to the Greeks. Maybe we should compare them to the Nazis. I leave it to you. But one thing I want to show you, they made a rule that the cats need support. So they decided to allow a budget to the cats, 12 million shekel. What they take from the Avrechim, they'll give the cats and the dogs. <laughs> so the Arabs, the Muslim brothers, that have a dream to slaughter all Jews, got up on a stage in the Knesset and say, we would like to donate from the 53 billion shekel that we got from the stupid Israeli government. We would like to donate 100 million shekel to the Haredim. Did you ever hear such thing? Anybody understand what's going on in this world? Do you understand what's happening here? Those who call themselves Jews wants to burn the Torah, wants to burn and kill the Haredim. And the Muslim brother who wants to kill all Jews have a pity on the Haredim. It's not fair. We got 53 billion, and the one billion you used to get, even though you are 20% of the population, and we are only four seats in the Knesset, it's really too much. We want to give you a little bit. Maser. <laughs> we give you 100 million shekels. Did you ever hear such thing? But I'll tell you the secret here. The secret here <laughs> is... that the secular people in Israel, they went through 34 years of massive brainwash against religion and against religious people. Add to that the behaving of the religious people, which is far from being perfect, and only make the problem two or three times worse. Even if the all religious people would be perfect, they will still brainwash them to hate the Torah and religion because they look at it as a threat. 
Add to that that you find all kinds of weirdos and all kinds of religious people who behave in a horrible way and they do things on the streets and there's all kinds of scandals on the media. So that's only make them more stubborn and hate more the religion and the religious people. So what did they say? We do not want to sponsor Avrechim. Enough, you are a parasite. You suck our blood. We do not want to give a penny. Go to work. And you pay for your own yeshivot. But we have a democracy in this country. Democracy says that you have 100% of the population. You have Arabs, I don't know, 50%. You have uh, Ethiopian, I don't know, 5%. You have Russian, 7%, 10%, whatever it is. Haredim, about 20%. Together with the religious people, about 25% of Israel. Then you have other righties, lefties, this, that. Okay, you have every group should get according to their power in a, in a society. If you are 10%, you should get 10% of the budget. If you are 20%, 30%, 50%, whatever you are, you get most of the budget. The only one who gets basically almost nothing is the religious people. They get one billion a year, one billion shekel a year for all religion causes. And it's much, much, much less than the amount of taxes they pay. They pay a lot more taxes. Plus, they save hundreds of billions to the government with all the chesed organization. Yad Sarai, Yad Zeh, Yad Zeh. Four billion here, two billion there, seven billion here. Rav Zamir Cohen made a beautiful video showing how much money the religious organization saved to the government here. Much, much, much more than what they get. Meaning there's no more blessing to them than religious people here. Many of them pay taxes and they get nothing in comparison to others. But they don't look at the Haredim that thanks to them we are alive. Thanks to the yeshivot we breathe. The Torah says, If you have one hour in a world that people don't learn Torah, the whole world will be destroyed. Needless to say, only here. The whole world. So they don't care about this, and they look at you like you are a threat. And you are taking away from their freedom and money and vacations and whatever they look at. So Hashem said, no problem. Enough is enough. 30, 40 years I heard your nonsense and your lies. You don't have to give to the Haredim, fine. So what's going to happen? You're going to give to the Muslim brother 55 times more that they can come and slaughter your children. Mida keneged mida. You don't want to give one billion shekel a year to the Avrechim that thanks to them you are breathing. Thanks to them you're still here, sitting here in Israel. Without them you will already be who knows where. It's no problem. Don't give them. Who are you going to give? To the Muslim brothers. Which? 33 billion gave to the Hamas right away in a public event. We help orphans and widows. <laughs> right away, they build tunnels with this money. What did the Hamas do with this? They ever did something for the people? They live just to kill us. That's the only purpose. Rabotai, when Sheikh Ahmed Yassin Shimo opened the Hamas, he made a declaration of the Hamas. Like you have the Declaration of Israel, Declaration of United States, Declaration of the Hamas. 
I have it. I actually once made a whole lecture about it. In the declaration of the Hamas, this is what he writes. The Jews were chosen by God to be the chosen people. He took them out of Egypt, he saved them from Pharaoh, he brought them to the Holy Land, he gave them the land, he gave them the Torah, he gave them prophets. No matter how much he gave them, instead of appreciating what he gave them, they only rebelled against him ungrateful, ungratefully. They're very ungrateful people, to the point that they even killed their own prophets. He's talking about Ishaya, his grandson Menashe killed him, Menashe Arasha. Now I'm funding the Hamas and our jobs, the Arabs, is to teach these ungrateful Jews a lesson. So who brought the Hamas on us? The wicked Jews. If all Jews were righteous, and everyone would appreciate Hashem, and obviously righteous Jews would not kill their own prophets, and they do appreciate what Hashem does for us, right? Righteous Jews, they pray, they read Tehillim, they say thank you to Hashem, they have a lot of admiration to Hashem, I don't have to tell you that. Then it will not happen. Hashem is already showing you the Hamas is beginning today, from now on you're gonna have a serious torture. If one day you ask, why? Read their declaration. It's my words. They didn't write it. I wrote it. I wrote it. I'm sending you the bees and the hornets. And they're going to bite you and they're going to torture you. I'm sending you the bad animals and I'm sending you the goyim. I'm sending you the Romans and I'm sending you the Nazis. They can ever do something without me being behind it? What's, what, what's on your mind? You really think some goy can hurt you without my decision on Rosh Hashanah? Where is your Emunah? So there used to be a wicked king, his name was Ahav, but he was generous with Talmidei Shiva. And his wife was very wicked, but she had one good thing about her. She used to like to do Simchat Chatan Vekala. She was, when there was a wedding, it wasn't like today, half a million dollar wedding in, uh, in the airport here. What's the name of that place? The big hall in, uh, in, in uh, Ben-Gurion Airport. No, they, have, they have this big fancy place. Avenue. Wedding in Avenue, Rabbi. I'm getting married. Avenue. What is, it looks like a city, this place. So the wedding back then, even 50, 60 years ago, you know how people here in Israel used to get married? You, most of you here Americans, all of you, you don't even have a dream how the Israelis used to, used to get married 60 years ago, when Israel was a new country. Do you know how people used to get married? On Friday afternoon, all the neighbors come from work around 12, 1 p.m. Everybody cook food, the neighbors, they put in the, on the street, in the parking lot of the building, or in a, in a park, in a neighborhood, or just on the street. They make a chupa on the street. They put some plastic tables, whatever. People bring food, everybody brings something. They bring some pita breads or challah from the bakery. They dance, they put music on the street. People used to get married on Friday on the streets with a very low budget. 
Why they chose Friday? For two reasons. One, people have half a day off. Everybody used to come early, even the secular people. And second, because most people did not have a refrigerator, so if they cook food on Friday morning, then if some food will be left from the wedding, has shalom to throw it to the garbage, baltashri. So we'll use it on Shabbos. We'll use the leftover from the wedding, so no food will go to waste. That's how people used to get married. On the street. None of the expenses that you have today. You have 10 kids, each one of them half a million shekel. Just to get them on their feet. Crazy world. Materialism. Fake lifestyle. Stupid competitions. I don't want two carat diamond. I don't like this guy. Look what the diamond he got me. All my friends got four cars. I don't know, I'm suspecting maybe it's cheap. I want to cancel the engagement. Religious girl from Betty Akov can say such things. That's on her mind, the diamond. She doesn't want a regular uh, wedding gown from the Gemach. She wants a $10,000 one from some gay designer from Tel Aviv. <laughs> That's her dream. And all this nonsense and this and that and this band and that band. And oh, we want to walk into the, into the hall with a carriage, with a horse. Maybe next time a camel. Just make sure he doesn't need the chandelier when you sit on him. Weddings. Everybody looks to be special. Among secular and goyim, I'm not surprised. What do they have? They're, they're, full, they're, em they're empty. Life is full of emptiness. They always like for new excitement. I want to be special. But among people, religious people that follow Hashem, to have this shtuyot in their mind. But we're becoming more and more like the goyim, courtesy of the religious magazines. They have the nerve to call themselves religious. They are worse than the secular one. Because when you buy a lefty newspaper, you know everything over there is poison. When you buy someone who calls himself Yeshiva or Shabbos or all kinds of holy names, and 20% of the magazine is heresy, you're not alert. You're thinking it's an orthodox magazine. New York, they sell it every Shabbos. And you read all the kofrim that they put over there with the weekly column there. And it destroys you. Not to talk about all the advertisement, Miami, Dubai, Kuz, this, all the fancy schmancy fake lifestyle. So Hashem decided, that's it. We're putting an end to it now. Things are going to start going in reverse. To be more simple and more simple and more simple before Mashiach would come. Why? Because if you're addicted to material, you can never be righteous. There's no way to be Eved Hashem, man or woman, when you are addicted to material. Forget about it. It cannot be. It cannot be. There's no way. If you have a comfortable home, no problem. If you have to live to something else, also no problem. You have a nice car, you have to move to a different car. No problem, I survive. No big deal. If they give you sushi, nice, delicious. No sushi, bread with butter, also good. 
whatever I have, I survive. No big deal. Does not make me depressed. Does not break me mentally. I have nice suit, nice. I have a cheap suit second hand from the Metzias, also fine. I have a $10,000 watch or $50 watch, does not make a difference in my eyes. Just need something to tell me the time. That's how a Jew has to be. There's no mitzvah to torture yourself. I didn't say that. We're not uh, some call to, oh, you want to be righteous? You have to torture yourself. One day you hear Hashem say to torture yourself. Well, Yom Kippur, the rest of the year, live, enjoy life. Make sure you don't become addicted to this fake world. It's only an illusion and it's all temporary. You know, when someone is Michal el Shabbos, the punishment of Michal el Shabbos is a disaster. It's the worst thing you can imagine. It's death execution by stoning. A murderer, for instance, is dead by a sword. And it's over. Stoning, it's a whole ceremony. You wear a special kilt and they walk you into the special hill where they're going to push a person from there and he falls on the floor. And all the people scream, the parents, the children, the, the wife, the brothers, the neighbors, the boys from the yeshiva. Remember, everyone was religious 2,000 years ago when we had Bet Mikdash. They didn't have chilonim from Shenkin over there. So everybody there was, was Shomer Shabbat. Oh, they caught somebody that was Michalel Shabbat on purpose. Why? Because he got a warning. Two witnesses saw him. Hey, Moshe, you're not allowed to do this. It's laundry on Shabbos. Afal Piken, I heard you. I still will do it. They testify against him. They, they investigate the witnesses. They find that it's really happened. And they have to execute him. What do they do? Before they execute him, they give him very, very strong wine. Like 50% alcohol. Stronger than whiskey. With the pieces of grapes in it. From the barrel. Very, very strong. Why? Because they don't want him to feel the pain and the humiliation. So when they decide now if he's guilty or not, they let him hold the wine. And they say, Savri Maranan, like the Sfaradim say in the Kiddush. The Ashkenazim just say, Savri. Same thing, same idea. We say the Sfaradim, Savri Maranan. We say, who Savri? Who decided? The Ashkenazim don't say who, it's obvious. Savri meaning the Bedin. Savri Maranan, and we answer Lechaim. But in a time of execution, the Bedin answer Lamavet. To death, and he has to drink the, the wine. And a minute later, he doesn't even remember where he is. And I make him wear this humiliating outfit. They walk him all the way to the place, and everybody scream and cry. It's a disaster. For one time, Chilul Shabbat, one time. He got a warning and did it anyway. Second time. They take him over there. They push him from the top of the mountain, the person falls, by then usually he's dead already. If he's not dead, they push a huge rock from the mountain on him. And if he still did not die, people stand with rocks and throw it in his head. That's what Hashem said to do to Mechalel Shabbat. But what? It leaves you speechless. 
So the question is, why Hashem chose for Mechalel Shabbat such a death? It could have been choking, could have been burning, could have been sore, could have been other ways. Why it chose this particular punishment? And the answer I heard from Rav Eliezer ben David, Alav HaShalom, is a big chacham, very, very sharp and deep. Rav Eliezer ben David, passed few years ago, he said that why would a person, why would a person be Mechalel Shabbos? Today there's a lot of secular people that don't even know what Shabbos is. We're not talking about them. We're talking in the old days. Everybody knew what Shabbos is because everyone around was Shomer Shabbat. You grew up into it. It's, it's a covenant between Hashem and the Jewish nation. So if a person is starting to break Shabbat hiddenly, and then two witnesses caught him, and he did it anyway. Now he, would, now he, he was discovered. Why would a person be Mechalel Shabbat? Let's say he wants to smoke. Physical desire. He wants to boil soup. Physical desire. He wants to dig a roll or to cut fruit from the trees and eat them. Physical desire. So basically if you look... All the causes that cause the person to become Mechalel Shabbat are physical pleasure. No other way. I'm not talking about the kofrim today, the infidels, that they do it on purpose to fight the religion. We're talking people who have a desire now. Like this. You know, oh, for the love of you, Shabbat Shalom. Like the Rav doesn't smoke the cigarette from their mouth. My father told me he was born in Israel. In 1940, the British were in charge here. British soldiers used to walk here in Tel Aviv, in all the Yafo, all these areas here, Ramle. And uh, he said to me, oh, obviously everyone was Shomer Shabbat, all the people here, almost everyone was Shomer Shabbat, at least 80% were Shomer Shabbat. The problem is that the, the new generation started to break Shabbat, but they didn't have the gut to violate Shabbat in public, in a community. So my father said, we used to walk 20 minutes into the orchards. There was a lot of orchards here with orange trees. Hide over there, smoke, and come all the way back 20 minutes that no one will ever dare that we went to smoke somewhere because in the neighborhood, who would dare to do such thing? This was uh, eight years ago, right here. So Abeliezer ben David said, we know Hashem does everything. He does mida keneged mida. It's all measure for measure. What's the measure for measure to stone a person to death? Because he was Mechalel Shabbat. Find me the connection. The punishment has to be measure for measure. Mida keneged mida. So if somebody stabbed someone and killed him, and you kill that someone with a sword, we understand obviously what's the mida keneged mida. If someone drowned someone and you, and you choke him, mida keneged mida. What's the mida keneged mida if someone lit a cigarette or cooked or made himself coffee on Shabbat that he dies by stoning? What's the connection? You almost got it. You're very close. 
רב אליעזר בן דוד said, what got you to become wicked? Nature, the world. You want this, you want that, you want cigarettes, you want apples, you want oranges, you want coffee, you want to cook food. Physical desire, you're addicted to material. You can't control your desires. The world, the world of illusion that you're so much in love with, the world will execute you. The law of gravity. We push you from the mountain and the earth like a magnet. taking you down and kill you. If it was on the moon, you would not fall down. That's what he's saying. Mida can I get Mida. The land, the, the, the world, this material that you're so much addicted to, the world would execute you. It's deep. Rabotai, that leads me now to the main thing I wanted to talk about today. Someone told me on Shabbat, we had a beautiful seminar, You know, every year we have about two or three seminars a year. Shachar Shama and his wife, with their devotion, they organize beautiful seminars in Jerusalem, we do it. And Baruch Hashem, all seminars were all successful, and we see the end of Hashem, which clearly see the end of Hashem. And a lot of people, Baruch Hashem, they're starting their journey in religion. After the seminar, you have to see the video, how people grab my USBs and the books. And, t- and tzitziot, and women cover the hair, and uh, kosher shaving machine. It's a national revolution. It's a mini, mini Ma'amad Ar-Sinai. If you see it with 200 people, you can only imagine how it was when we got the Torah, everyone was excited. You have to see how secular people, some of them ponytail, hair, tattoos, everyone with these jeans with the holes, people that look like homeless. And you will never believe that they have any connection to Hashem. You have to see in the video how they fight. Give me, you have more USB. You have more books. We ran out of books. Shama, you have more books. Two or three days and then their whole life changed 180 degrees. So, someone told me in a seminar, Rabbi, there's a big problem. Maybe you should speak about it in Bechemish. So, what's the problem? I say, you know, there's a lot of teenagers going off the derech. So they publish the information. The worst place when it comes to off the derech kids and teenagers is Betar Elite. Number one in off the derech kids, Chaval. Betar Elite. Second place, Elad. And third place, Ramat Bet Shemesh. There's hundreds of other places of religious communities. Rechassim, Bnei Brak, Yerushalayim, a lot of different areas. This place is number three. It's not a kavod to be number three on a list. Should not be on that list at all. Unfortunately, many of those kids are Americans. They came to this country, they couldn't find themselves in a system. Either the language or the different lifestyle, or maybe it's not what they used to have, or now the parents maybe are more busy with Parnassa. I don't know what's the reason, what could be the reason? What could be the reasons that so many kids went off the derech here? In America, you also have this problem. Lakewood, Muncie, Flatbush, you have the same thing. Only Hashem knows percentage-wise, if you compare America to here, where is worse? I don't know, I cannot answer this. I know last year, 125 kids died from heroin. 
in, uh, in America, from Orthodox families. Not counting secular, just from Orthodox family, meaning families of Shomrei Shabbat. In America. 125 died, doesn't mean the other ones did not almost die. Those were dead, they were dead by the end of the year. So, you know, the question is, what's going on over here? How is it possible that one more and another one and another one? It's sometimes I feel that we are putting water into the barrel that has a hole in the bottom. We add ballet tshuva every year, thousands, and at the same time, thousands of, uh, of from kids become secular. A few years ago I said something, some people didn't understand what I say. Today I think everybody understands. You know, we made all the speakers and the organizations more than one million ballet tshuva, maybe even one and a half. Twenty years ago they said million ballet tshuva, by now maybe one and a half million. From all the 15 million Jews in the world, it's a big number, it's 10%. If that's the case, how come Shas and Degel in the Knesset are in the same size already for 30 years? If you have an extra one and a half million Balet Shuvah, do you know how many mandats it is? 30 mandats. The religious people from 16, 17, all of them together should have had 50. Double than uh, Lapid and almost double than the Likud. Should have been Almost 60 mandats religious people alone. With the amount of birth that every religious family have, 6, 7, 8, 10, 11. There was one rabbi in Monsi when I was in yeshiva. He had 23 kids from one wife. They got married. In all these years that they've been married, 23. Some of them were twins. So together in 20-something years they've been married. 23 kids there, and he was sitting learning all day, all, all his life. So, I mean, in a religious world, you have to agree with me that besides the very modern Orthodox, all very full, Sfaradi, Ashkenazi, Hasidic, F6, 7, 8, 10, I don't know, 7, 8 average. And by the secular, they have 1.5 kids and three dogs. So that means we are four or five times faster. We multiply four or five times faster than the secular. Plus one and a half million ballet tshuva, we should have been the majority of the Knesset. But 30 years, we stuck in the same place. You know why? Here comes the sad news. We, the Orthodox people, produce secular people for the other side. Each family, one or two kids of the derech that goes to the other side. And some of them become the biggest haters of religion. Why? Because many people, they react with emotions. If he was molested, that's it. Now he hates all religious people and he hates Hashem, he hates the Torah for the rest of his life. He doesn't want to hear about religion. If he was kicked from yeshiva last night, when I was about to leave, I was exhausted after the seminar in the parking. One guy said, can I speak to you? I was leaving the parking. He kept me there for 45 minutes. 
just to try to get it out of his chest how he was kicked out of yeshiva even though he was totally not guilty and how they destroyed his life. I tell him it wasn't even me, it was mamash, such a misfortunate situation. So now, Baruch Hashem, this guy at least didn't go all the way to the other side, he became secular, now he's coming back. But thousands like him became totally anti-Toba. So we actually produce, they bring two kids, we give them another two kids per family. We bring seven, eight, but two of us or three goes to them. So then becomes the same numbers. We grow in the same rate. If we would give love and devotion and good example to all the children, you would have maybe 5% of the derech. People sometimes choose to be wicked. Even they had the best childhood, they still choose to be wicked. There's nothing you can do about it. Not always is your fault. Sometimes it's the parents' fault. Sometimes it's the yeshiva's fault. Sometimes it's the society's fault. And sometimes it's the kids' fault. No one else. The yeshiva was great. They gave him chances. They gave him love. The parents were wonderful. The environment was clean and kosher. And he decided, he's curious to see what the Chilonim has to offer, and became a goy. It also happened. If it's Chaked Esav, everybody can have anything. Even if you're the biggest tzaddik, even if you're the Baba Sali, can still have a son that is a big gangster, the head of the mafia. One, father is the Baba Sali, your father is Chachamovai, your father is Ravel Yashif, how you became like this? Torah does not pass by inheritance. You are who you are, and your kid could be somebody totally different. But I'm telling you from what I've seen, most of those problems become from the house. Before I came here, I went to my friend, he's in Avbedin here in Bet We grew up, we learned together in Yeshiva in Monsi many years ago. I stopped by his house for 20 minutes. And now he opened the Yeshiva for teenagers in Israel. He has Bedin, he has Yeshiva, he has a lot of different things. Mamash big, one of the biggest Matmidim uh, I ever seen, this, this guy. So I told him about what's happening today, how they throw kids from Yeshivot, one, two, three, one little incident and already on the street. So he told me, I also used to think like you, but now when I open my own Yeshiva, I want to talk for the other side. I said, okay, I'm, I'm interested to hear. Now you know both sides. So he told me, you know how many parents throw their kids on yeshiva and they don't care about them? Let the yeshiva handle their problem. Let the yeshiva be fully responsible for their future. They do not invest anything in those kids. Nothing. If the kids need help, if the kids are hyper, they need sometimes, uh, I don't know, appeal to calm them down because they cannot sit in the class. They just can't. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. I asked him, how come so many kids need those pills to be able to just sit in a class? He said, you want to know in a natural way or you want to know in a Kabbalistic way? So I said, both. He said, in a natural way, they stuff them with artificial food and tons of sugar and dairy and ice cream and sugar and sugar and sugar 10 or 20 times more than what you're allowed to eat. That's messed them up. On a spiritual way is the parents, when they actually brought them to the world, they did it 
in an animal way and not in a Torah way. So this is all dark neshamot. When you intimate with your wife and you bring a soul to the world nine months later, the moment that you were together will determine one kind of soul Hashem will put in the body of that baby. There's no coincidence here. You did it 100% with Kedusha and this and Mikveh, Taharat Mishpacha, clean mind, and in the modesty, and all the halachot, a lot of halachot about it, then don't be surprised that Hashem gave you a beautiful soul that would light the world. But if you did it the way the chilonim and the animals do it, then don't be surprised that 20 years later, that's what you're going to have. The Gemara brings a story that they saw a kid that walks without a keeper, and the Chachamim started to argue if he's a mamzer, or if he's Ben Nida or both. And Rabbi Akiva over there say is Mamzer and Ben Nida. They told him, how are you so strict? How do you know? He say, because a kosher neshama will not dare to walk without a kippah. Today it looks like a joke. <laughs> he said, it's, it's dangerous to even say such thing. But back then it was the case. No one would dare to walk four steps without covering the air. Kids. Even it's kids, righteous kids, if they keep a fall, do they want to go get it? They put their hands on, they put their sleeve on their head. They won't just go and get it. Then you have other kids who play basketball two hours without a keeper. They don't care. They play without because it's more comfortable. They're not going to put a hat. So some kids will never, I don't care, let the keeper fall 50 times, but I will, I'm not going to take it off. I'll play with the keeper and tzitzit. <coughs> so you see, there's different level of Irat Shamayim. So Rabbi Akiva said, Mamzer and Benida. He went to his mother. He said, if you tell me the truth, I promise you I'm going to give you Olam Abba. But in his mind, he made a condition that he cancel his nether in advance. But he's just getting the truth out of it. If you tell me the, the kind of kid you have, what is he? Is he only Benida, meaning he didn't keep the Nida correctly? Or he's also from a different man that is not your husband? And she confessed. And I said to Rabbi, how did you know? So leave the story on the side for a minute. Just get the conclusion from here you see that how the woman conceived and from whom and how and all the condition affect how he behaves. I don't have to tell you now what he watch online, kosher phone, not kosher phone. This, this guy from the seminar yesterday told me that 30 boys from his yeshiva became secular because of the Arab janitor that walked there. He used to give them a not-filter phone and they were watching all the garbage that you can watch and they all became secular. And what was the end of this Arab? He got, the government took him for some crime that he committed and gave him 15 years in prison. That's, of course, not his real punishment. He will get his punishment in Olam Abba. But for now, Hashem put him in a cage. But the, where, what about those neshamot? Are gone. They were curious what the Arab has in his phone. You know, and that's all you need. Two, three, four days like this, and it's over. I, I wish I would have a solution to this problem. Obviously, no one has. I'm sure you heard a lot about it, and there's a lot of speakers who talks about it, and they make gatherings in stadiums about the internet and about that. 
In reality, I don't see one tiny improvement from all these activities. Only get worse. The situation only get worse. So I think, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about it. How do you save these kids from getting destroyed? Well, we're going to continue to produce secular kids forever? How do you do it? One answer is tons of love. Because remember, kids and women, they are motivated by feelings, their mental state. I'm happy, I'm willing to do much more. I'm sad, I'm unable to do anything. Man, it's a different story, different psychology. Many women who call to complain that, uh, you know, about their shalom bayit and how their husband abused them and destroyed them and all these things. Sometimes the husband called to complain that the wife rebel against the religion. He asked her to have a modest wig on purpose she get the longest, wildest one. He asked her not to walk with this not modest high heels. She go and buy six pairs of shoes with the worst high heels. He asked her, make sure your skirt is below the knees. It's embarrassing how you dress, your mother of kids. On purpose she gets shorter. Everything she rebel against him. Buy the meat from this butcher, she buys on the other place. It was on sale. Your neshama will be in Gehenom. The last thing you care about is the five dollars you saved on a on one pound of meat. So the question is, why women react like this? Now, all women are wicked. All the women who have problems with their husband, all of a sudden, they, their religious level drop. So I say to one guy, you want your wife to become more religious than you in one month? He said, no, she hates the religion. She fights everything. On purpose, she rebels. I say, her problem is not with Hashem or the Torah. Her problem is with you. If you're going to change your attitude and be nice and generous and give attention and compliments and all these things, you will see that all of a sudden, slowly, slowly, she doesn't fight you, she doesn't make comments, she doesn't throw her poison around, and slowly, slowly, she'll become more better than you. Ah, there's no chance. I don't know what's the connection. I said, try it. Try it one month. See what's going to happen. Two weeks later, he called me. It was a guy from Israel. You're not going to believe. She's a whole different person. Why? If she hurt emotionally, she's destroyed. You think she has now the, the patience now to be devoted in religion? It's destroyed. <laughs> Same thing a kid. If a kid is destroyed mentally, or someone is abusing him, or all kinds of things, the last thing he cares about is religion. He's, he has a scar in his heart, all he wants is either to die or to kill someone, or to run away from this world. And on purpose, he rebels against the religion, because in his mind is, where is Hashem to save me from such parents? Where is Hashem to save me from such rabbis in this kind of yeshiva? How come he doesn't help me when I'm abused and other worse things? And as results of that, the society is so sick, not here, everywhere. That it produce a lot of mentally sick kids. Being off the derech is only one symptom. Believe me, there's much worse problems also. You have no idea what people do. So sad. The, the biggest problem is that a lot of that could have been prevented. 
with some adjustment. I once said, if I had the money and the time, I would open a college. Not the college you think about. None of these her heretic colleges, no, no. I will open a college that will teach two things, marriage and raising kids. The whole world needs it. People will come to sessions. You want to get married? When? In six months. Okay, you need six months of at least two, three times a week. Sessions, step number one, class number two, class number three. Just to learn the psychology of a woman, you need six months. It's a very complicated machine. Very. It's much easier to learn the new Tesla or Mercedes with all the sensors and the system and become an expert because in Israel nobody knows how to fix Tesla. A lot of people get excited. Tesla, Tesla. Someone told me you don't understand. One little problem in a Tesla, you're done. Nobody knows how to fix it. <laughs> Israeli mechanics. All of a sudden, someone comes with this car. What is this? Where is the engine? <laughs> I have no idea. So you need, you need someone from America to fix the car. How are you going to do it? You have to ship the part. Do you know what's going on here? Plus, they don't have enough places to charge. There's a lot of headache. So if you're not ready, if a new car came to the world, you need to learn how to handle it. How do you go into a 20, 30 years relationship not knowing who your partner is about to be and how to handle him or her? How do you bring kids to the world and you do not know anything about raising children? What, you monkey? Monkeys, they give birth and they go to their business. The little chimpanzee will manage. Tomorrow he's going to jump on the trees, the next day he's going to throw coconuts on someone's head. You don't need to change his diapers, you don't need to vaccinate him, you don't need yeshiva, you don't need parents' teach, uh, teacher conference. You don't have all this headache. You don't have to find him a shiduch. The monkeys are not using drugs, they don't watch YouTube. You don't have to spy on them. Very easy life. Throw him in a safari and he's on his own. Same thing, the deer, the elephant. One hour in the world and they're ready to go. By people, it's a different world. You have thousands of hours of investment to create a good kid. Thousands of hours. I just went to my friend, the Diane, that I told you. He showed me two of his boys. Little kids like this. One, one he told me he's going to have bar mitzvah in a few months. And the other one, in my opinion, was younger than ten. He told me, you just shook the hand of the next Gdolador. I say, how come? Half of the Shas you already know by heart. Half. 13, it's not Bar Mitzvah yet, in six months. You see the holiness of the kids. They love to learn. Why? They saw a father that doesn't stop learning. Give his life for the Torah. Give them the right education, a great mother who gave her life and devotion for, the, for them. And Baruch Hashem, Hashem helped. This kid, one day will be somebody huge. You need a lot of investment, Rabotai. Without investment, nothing helps, nothing works. And plus a lot of davening. We have to daven a lot. So I started to explain that Achav, the wicked king, and his wife, Izevel, even though they were wicked, 
they put a lot of idols in the land, and Eliyahu Navi was a zealous rabbi. In all the rabbis in his generations were all fake. They all went to the university in Manhattan, and they leave the university, and they started to give speeches on YouTube, and half of the speeches were heresy. And the Tanakh calls them Nevi'ei Abaal. They were false prophets. They have an idol, and they say prophecies in the name of the Avodah Zarah. How many chief fake rabbis you had in his time? 450 fake ones and one kosher one, Eliyahu, that's it. I don't know if today it's the same ratio, but there is a lot of fake ones, let's put it that way. So Eliyahu Navi came and he said, you know what? Three years, there's not gonna be rain here. Three years, no rain. Now it's not like today, you can import water from Turkey. Or now the Israelis invented a machine that get rid of the salt. So you get from the ocean as much as water as you want, and it's not salty. You know, you're not, in a, you're, not in a, you're not getting nervous. It's true that you still need rain for all the farms and for all the, the fruits and the vegetables, but as far as drinking and having water, you can have water. Today it's much easier, but in the old days, if you don't have few months you don't have rain, you're done. No, no tomatoes, no cucumbers, no wheat, no barley. You know, the wheat in Israel is the best wheat in the world. But when you eat in Israel, you don't eat Israeli wheat. You eat Russian wheat. Garbage wheat. It's five times cheaper than the Israeli wheat. All the Israeli wheat is export, uh, exported to where? Italy. Who said? Very good. Italy. Why Italy? Because they masters of pasta and they need the best wheat. So they pay five times more than the price of wheat in Russia. So the Israelis are very clever. Israelis don't know anything from their life anyway. They know anything about pasta, about wheat. Whatever bread you put on the table, ooh, delicious. They eat everything. Why should we give them a, a wheat that is superb and they have no idea that they eat something special? Just like me, when my friends, the Persian friends from Englewood, I went to do Shabbatonim there, I never drank before alcohol. They said, ah, oh, Rabbi, you have to drink with us, you're insulting us. Let's drink one Lechaim, whiskey. So which one you want? They show me all the bottles, 20 years, 18 years. 12 years, what do I know for my life? First time I'm about to taste. I said, give me the cheapest one anyway, I cannot tell the difference. <laughs> I once went to a wedding and my friend called me, Rabbi, let's have Lechaim. He comes to the bar, you know, they have in a wedding bar. He said, give him from the good stuff, pointing at the blue label. So I said to the guy, no, no, give me this red one. He looked at me, I'm, I'm willing to give you blue, you want red, what, you crazy? Say, anyway, I cannot tell the difference. Save it for people who know how to appreciate it. Same thing, I went, went to a Georgian guy in the Forest Hills Garden. He said, I, I bought 20 bottles, the best wine. Cost me $1,000 a bottle. I want to give it to my best friends, and you are one of them. Here. I said, no, no, save it. 
Give it to someone who will enjoy it. For me, a $12 bottle and this bottle, I cannot tell the difference. Isn't it a shame that I'm going to burn $1,000 with no benefit? Somebody who likes wine, you know, these people, ooh, mm. ooh, you know. One of the guests there was a wine tester, tasting wine. He goes to all the shows, get paid a lot of money. And now he became Baal Tshuva. <laughs> he lost his parnasa, all the wine, is not kosher. No. So he's finding another job, Baruch Hashem. Gonna be some kind of a consul or in politics. But he gave up that job because he became Baal Tshuva. So in, if, you don't know that, if you don't know what you eat, you don't know. So they sell all the Israeli wheat to Italy and they import from Russia. We have nafkamina la'alacha here. When you make bracha ala michia, you cannot say ala aretz ve'al michiata. That's, you can only say on wheat that grows in Eretz Israel. So you are like you are still in America. Ala aretz ve'ala michia. Same thing grapes. Ala aretz ve'al pri agefen. You don't say ve'al pri gafna. Where do they bring the grapes from to Israel? Well, who knows? California. From Spain. Which country have the best grapes in the world? Who knows? Georgia. The Gruzini. Have hundreds of different kinds, and the best wine is grapes from there. Also in Italy, they have very good wine. Olive oil and, and grapes come from Spain. It's interesting. A stuff got blessing. Europe, Italy, Spain, they have good stuff. They <laughs> bring it over here. Anyway, so we go back to Achav. So Eliyahu cursed them that three years they won't have rain. Nothing is going. No wheat, no, the, the, the sheep is all skinny, no meat, they're all dying. There's nothing to drink. Can't even wash your hands. You want to do Netila, what are you going to do? You have to go to the lake and get some water. It's very difficult. So what happened, Rabotai? After three years, Hashem said to Eliyahu, okay, you made your point. Everybody suffered three years because of some Reshaim leaders. Let's go and get rid of the problem. So Eliyahu and Avi, after three years, they were chasing him. Listen, three years, they look for the rabbi, the only kosher rabbi, to kill him because he told them the truth in their face, even worse than today. Today, they only butcher you on, uh, on uh, Facebook comments, or on uh, YouTube comments, or in a magazine. But back then, they searched for Yahweh Navi to kill him. So Hashem said, go, don't worry, just go. And he went. And he said, okay, listen, we're going to see today who Hashem prefer, me or all of you. You're going to bring your cow, I'm going to bring my cow. We're going to prepare the sacrifice. A fire will come from heaven. If the fire will go to your sacrifice, that means you are right and I'm wicked. If it's going to fall on my sacrifice, I'm righteous and all of you are wicked. You agree? What are they going to say? No, they have to agree. And he said, okay, prepare your stuff. So they prepared, there were two cows. They bring the cows. One Eliyahu Navi take to the side of his 
altar is about to slaughter him and prepare him. And the other one, these 450 university rabbis, they wanted to grab him to their side, but he doesn't want to walk. He doesn't want to walk. Eliyahu Hanavi say, go. He said, I don't want to go. Why you don't want to go? He said, it's not fair. Me and my friend, we both grew up in the same barn since we were born. All our life we were together. Why he would go to your holy altar and I will go to this impure altar of this Rishayim? It's not fair. Why he has the merit to be in the hand of Eliyahu and I will be in the hand of these 450 university fakers? I don't want to do Chilul Hashem. If any, I want to do Kiddush Hashem. And Eliyahu and Navi say, you got it wrong. You're, you're going to do the biggest Kiddush Hashem now. Because when everybody will see that after they slaughter you and put it on their altar and they begin to scream to Hashem that fire should come on you and no fire would come and fire will come on your friend, everyone will know who is right and who is wrong. So thanks to you, you will have the merit. And he agreed to go. So now, Eliyahu and Avi say to them, scream, scream to your God. Scream until the morning. Scream. Maybe he went to sleep. He made fun of them. Mitzvah to make fun of the wicked people. Especially idol worshippers. Mitzvah. If you don't do it, you lose a mitzvah. When you say J.C. Penny, you get a reward for it. Yes. When you laugh at all these stupid people who bow down to the cow or to Buddha and all the other idols, you get a reward for it. Mitzvah al Mitzvah. So, Rabotai, after they scream and scream and scream, and Eliyahu Navi say, listen, I'm spilling a lot of water on my sacrifice. Why? To resist the fire. I'm making it harder. I'm not going to put oil or alcohol that the fire will go right away and it's going to burn. No, no, I make it impossible for my sacrifice to go on fire. Look how much water I spill. And they scream and scream and scream. In the end, fire came on the Mizbeach of Eliyahu Navi, and the whole nation was shocked. And Eliyahu Navi started to scream at them, shame on you, you fakers. Until when you want to have one leg in a yeshiva and one leg in King's Highway? It's time to make up your mind. One leg in yeshiva, one leg in a rotten university. One hour he learned halachot, Yalkut Yosef, Shulchan Aruch. Then one hour he learns the heresy of all these kofrim in yeshiva. You have to make up your mind enough with this modern nonsense. You with me or you against me? It cannot be one leg, one leg there. One leg here, one It's impossible. עד מתי אתם פוסחים על שני הסעיפים? אם השם הוא האלוקים, לכו אחריו. ואם הבעל הוא האלוהים, לכו אחריו. If this is the God, follow them. And if this is the God, follow them. If רב אביגדור מילר is a צדיק, 
go after him. If the garbage reform rabbi is, is right, go after him. But you cannot go half a day with him and half a day with him. Enough. And in the end, everybody started to scream, Hashem wa Elohim. That's why we have Kabbalat Malchut Shamayim. Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, what do we scream? Hashem wa Elohim, Hashem wa Elohim. God is the master, not them. And what did he do? After this whole show, you would think he goes to his place and they'll go to the place. No, no, no. You don't leave the wicked people alone. Forget about this political correctness. He grabbed each one of them with the help of the nation and slaughtered all of them, executed all of them. All 450 fake leaders, he killed all of them. The Carmel Mountain became a river of blood. That's a place of a curse. A few years ago, there was a big fire over there. Almost the whole Israel went on fire. It started in a Carmel Mountain. The fire was so high that it went to the street, to the road, which is all the way down, far. Such a huge fire. A bus full of police officers passed by and they all got burned in a second to death. A big tragedy. I know some of you probably were still in America. This place is Muad Leporanot. <coughs> now I told you the story, and the purpose of this story is one. We have one question to ask. Why Eliyahu Navi tortured them three years, made them suffer with no water for three years, make everyone lose all his wealth? Everyone became poor, everyone became sad, everyone became depressed and broken heart. And now he came to do the show. Couldn't he do the show three years earlier? Why torture the whole nation? You have a problem with 450 fake rabbis, fake prophets? Take them and do something, either you win or they win with Hashem's help and put an end to it. Why would you prefer first to make everybody suffer for three years and after that you only came and performed? Why? The answer is, Rabotai, scary, but that's reality. That when a person is wealthy and getting fatter and is addicted to material, no matter how much he wants to be religious, because he's appreciated that Hashem gave him so much benefits and health and wealth, it's impossible because there are two opposite powers work on him at the same time. On one hand, he wants to be spiritual and connected to Hashem and be more religious, but the law of material are pulling him to the opposite side. Eliyahu Navi knew no one will do tshuva when they are all wealthy and they follow these fakers. I have no chance to turn all of them to do tshuva. There's only one way. First, I'm going to put them on their knees and they are broke and they lost their farms and they lost their animals and they lost their wealth and everyone is broke. Now, in one second, everyone became about tshuva. And that's why Hashem is going to do it to all of us before Mashiach comes. And when David ba, ad shelo tilchle pruta min akis. 
no money. Governments already talking about canceling cash. You won't be able to have cash. They're so greedy. They want a bite from every transaction. They made a law here, you're not allowed more than 11,000 shekel cash transaction. Now they lower it to six. Give it a few more months, they will lower it to two. And the next level will be no more cash, only plastics. That's it. Why? Because now they have every transaction recorded. Right now, if you do cash transaction, some businesses don't report it. They take the cash and use it. They're not putting it in the bank account. Government lose billions from it, and they're very greedy. They're never full. No matter how much they eat, they want more. Oef kesef! Lo isba kesef. Do you know who is the biggest organized mafia in Israel? You have Russians, you have Kafkazi mafia, you have Arab mafias, you have all kinds of mafias. Who is the more, the biggest, most powerful, dangerous, organized crime mafia in Israel? Reshut Amisim. In a seminar yesterday, one Ashkenazi man came to me. My guess is in his thirties. Don't know him, never saw him before. Rabbi, you know, I like you, I'm listening to you. Please give me a blessing. What? I have a trial going on with Reshut Amisim for years. They're about, the judge is about to reach his verdict in the next few weeks. I don't know exactly when, but it will happen. After years of fighting. They want me to pay them how much? They make up a number. Nothing to do with reality. How much they suing him for? Guess. Forty million shekels. He said the judge tell them, who in this country pays forty million shekels for one or two years of business? Who? How many people here make uh, hundreds of millions in a year or two? How many? You can count them on one or two hands. The judge. But they don't care. They shoot for a number. Instead of the burden of proof to be on them, it falls on the victim. You have to now prove that you don't owe them the money. Exactly the opposite of the Torah. The Torah says, Reuven suing Shimon for money, he has to bring proof that Shimon owe him the money. Amotzi mi chavero alav araya. By them is the opposite. You owe us money for a house you sold five years ago, and according to the value with penalty and interest, 200,000 shekel. You have three weeks to pay it. You don't pay it, they freeze your bank account, they freeze your home, your car, you're, you're done. Mafia. Now, who are you going to fight? You need to take a lawyer. How much a lawyer would cost you? How much? Minimum 15,000 shekel. Just to start the fight with them. They have lawyers working for salary. They're not in a rush anywhere. They'll torture you for years until you reach a settlement with them. Okay, okay, I'm going to pay you 120. Remove everything, I'll sign, and then steal it from you. You don't owe them anything. You don't owe them. That's what they do to people here. In America, it's more or less the same. Not as bad, but also there's a lot of problems there. One of my ballet, Chuva, is a genius in high tech. 
He made up some company. It was a big hit. He sold it for $80 million profit. Half of the money, the Israeli government froze, even though it's a business in America. It doesn't live here. It's just an Israeli citizen, but it lives in America. The transaction was in America. He had to pay taxes in America, but they also want a piece. So they don't release the money. Why? Mafia. Protection. You know how it is. You have a business, two guys come. Hi, good morning. Shalom, Boker Tov. Shalom, can I help you? No, we came to help you. You know, in, uh, in, uh, in Ramat Bet Shemesh, there's some people, they, you know, they may rob you. You have a store in town. We will provide you security. No, no, I manage with these kids. They're not so bad. You know, no, 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 believe me, could be someone from out of town. You're going to pay us 10,000 shekel a month and we will make sure nobody will mess with you. If anybody ever give you our time, call us, we'll come to protect you. No, no, I don't need protection. If I have problems, I'll call the police. Listen, we're not asking you if you're interested or not. We came to inform you. You have to pay us. And what if I don't pay you? You will see next week. You come to the store and you find everything burned. And then your car will be burned. And then your wife's car will be burned. And then your children will be burned. And then everything you have will be burned. You want to try? You remember what happened to that guy? You heard on the news. Remember what happened to that family? So, do yourself a favor. Pay the money every month. If not, we will destroy you. What are you going to do? Thousands of businesses pay them this. But that's gangsters, Arabs, Israeli, Russian, Kafkazi, Georgian, and etc. But this is the government doing the same thing with the help of the liberal court. This is the world we live in, Rabotai. I would like to conclude with one final thing. Kids of the Derech, it's a very sad problem. There's not that much solution besides giving them love and a good example, and pray with tears to Hashem every day. Try to do the best and hope for the best. But there is a much bigger problem also in a community that applies even to religious people, not of the derech. What is it? Modesty. Modesty of a man and modesty of a woman. From 26 years of experience, I'm sad to say, that not even 5% of religious women are modest according to the law of modesty of Shulchan Aruch. Not even 5%. And I'm being generous. I don't want to say less than 1% because you won't buy it. Trust me, it's worse than 5%. Even women who cover the hair, they not do it according to Allah. Some of the hair out, inside, outside, hair comes all over. No. And some who puts wig, according to the poskim who allows wig, many poskim are very much against it. They don't allow it at all. It's a very strong things against it. I'm going to the lenient side, to those rabbis who allowed wigs. None of them allowed the kind of wigs that we have today. Rav Shlomo Zanman Oyerbach Zatzal was the chief posek of the Ashkenazim here 10, 20, 30 years ago in Yerushalayim. He said that when Israel became a state, some woman from Europe came to Jerusalem. 
And she was wearing a wig that even a blind person sees that is a wig. It looked like a sheep wool. You know, like a hat that made from sheep of wool. Looks like a hat, doesn't look like it. And people in Jerusalem stood by the entrance of Jerusalem and started to throw rocks at her. Get out of here, you putza. Don't come to our city. You contaminated the city of Jerusalem. This was, what, 70, 67 years ago. So, obviously, the world has became a different world two generations later, and almost everybody puts wigs, but if you already put a wig, at least put something mother solid. Why? Because when you come to Hashem and you're going to say, I counted on that rabbi and on this rabbi, and they're all big rabbanim, Shamaim, they respect them. Big Talmidei Chachamim. So they're going to bring that rabbi to your tribe. Rav Moshe, Rav Moshe Feinstein, please come. We want to ask you. This lady claimed that she was following your psakim. She grew up in Manhattan, Lower East Side, or in Flatbush, and her husband was your Talmid. And thanks to you, she gave herself permission to go with a wig all the way down to the floor, and she's sweeping the streets of Brooklyn. So now we would like you to say, if you actually pass, pass him, that she's allowed this kind of wig. That's the, over there, it's the word of the truth. You cannot lie. You must say the truth in front of Hashem. Say, Hashem, absolutely, I did not allow such wigs. Not even half of it, not even a quarter of it. And then what are you going to do? You won't find one posek to rely on. So you live in a lie all your life, and you are machtiat arabim. There is Choteh, and there is Choteh Umachti. It's a whole different league of criminals. Everyone who commits a crime against Hashem is one crime between me and Hashem right now. One day I'll do tshuva, I'll fix it, I'll give tzedakah, Yom Kippur, I may get rid of it. Because it's one time I ate not kosher, and one time I skipped minyan, and one time, I, you know, whatever, whatever it was. One scene over here, one scene over there, one scene, you look at the picture on the street that is not modest, but it's all go by one, 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 one. One, two, three, four, five. In the end of your life, you may have a million after 78 years of life. But if you are automatically machtia rabim, you're a nice lady who dress not modest, everything is attached, and everything is short, and everything attracts attention, and the shoes make noise, and it's not modest, and the style of walking is not modest, and the wig is a disaster, and tons of makeup, and you finished all duty free on yourself. And now you walk three, four, five hours a day, shopping to the office, to the motor vehicle, to the school, whatever, you know, you may be a secretary, you may work in a high tech company, you may sit on a bus for an hour. Thousands of men look at you every day. Everyone who looks at you, you got a sin from the Torah goes to your file. Multiplied by 30, 40, 50 years that you walk like this on the street every day, you have a trillion sins, not one million, trillion. How are you going to erase it? You can never erase it. Why? Because first of all, there's no time to erase trillion sins. Every day you make 10, 20, 30,000 sins, multiply by 30 years, your case is dismissed to the negative side. You're done. You have, you have no argument. Plus, 
even if you were Rachel Imeno in everything else you do, the amount of merits you have compared to the amount of crimes is nothing to compare, it's a joke. You know, you have 1% positive, 99% negative. But even if Hashem is willing to give you, let's say, a discount or a lenient punishment, there is a problem here because you have to find all the men that ever looked at you or your pictures and uh, they, they thought about you and they were impressed by the way you dress or walk or anything else you did. And you have to apologize to each one of them for destroying their soul because their soul got damaged because of you. And where are you going to find them? It's like speaking Lashon Ara about all Moroccans. Where are you going to find all Moroccans in the world to apologize to them? About all Ashkenazim. Where are you going to find all the Ashkenazim now? Speaking Lashon Ara about all the other groups. Where are you going to find these people? You have to apologize to each one of them. That's why some of the speakers, when they give a joke, they say, I'm not speaking about Jews. Going, going. They won't be Lashon Ara. So, he's speaking about going, but you're playing with fire. But remember, this is doing nothing, just walking in the street. It's not like being a DJ in a mixed club. Guys and girls, goyim, goyot, drugs, play goyish music, and a thousand people commit sins there that night. With his actions. Over here, a, a Jewish religious lady, devoted, tehillim, crying about her children, keeping Shabbos, cooking for the yeshiva, strictly glad kosher, mikveh, nida, everything she does. Walk with a tight miniskirt, big high heels, long wig, attached clothes to the body, not wide enough, or all kinds of riding, too much makeup, too much smells everywhere. And sometimes behave in a very not modest way, noisy, wants attention in front of other men, smiling to other men, married woman, mother of a children, speaking to the goyim in a supermarket, flirting with them, amigo, Tony, Jose. She doesn't know the boundaries. Could be that she's a friendly person. But even a friendly person who likes to say hello to everyone has to know what's allowed, what's not allowed. You want to be friendly, be friendly to women. No problem. Why are you so friendly to this Goim, to Mustafa and Saeed and Jose? What do you think this Goim thinks about now when they smile to you and speak to you and choose the best tomatoes for you when they ship the box? You know, I want to tell you the Gemara says, and then I give time for questions in any topic and we'll finish. The Gemara says that there was one man who saw a young beautiful lady in the neighborhood and fell in love with her. Fell in love with her. Every day he sees her walking in the street. He came to his rabbi, rabbi, I cannot live, I cannot eat, I cannot sleep. I am in love with this young girl, the neighbor. Maybe you talk to them that she would, she would agree to marry me. The rabbi tried, they're not interested, She's, she doesn't like him, she doesn't want him. I said, Rabbi, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die from a broken heart, that's it. She doesn't want me, I'm going to die. So the rabbi said, so the guy said to the rabbis, maybe you will agree that she will walk 
in front of me for a minute every day. I can look at her beauty and try to calm my, my desire. The rabbi say, let him die and she will not walk in front of him. Because they know what's on his mind. But Israel, to walk in front of a man, to think about her. But he will die. The doctor said, Pikuach Nefesh. He's crushed. That's, he doesn't eat. He's going to die. You know, he cannot focus. He cannot eat. He cannot drink. It's very dangerous. To that level. Let him die. What do you mean, let him die? You're allowed to break Shabbat to save life. That's not Shabbat. It's a dynamite. That's a, a nuclear bomb. A bat Israel will walk in front of a guy. Let him die. Literally. Pasco. He die, he dies. So the, his rabbi came back with, the, the doctor came back with a new idea. How about they will talk from two sides of the mechitza. There's a wall, like here. He will stand over here, and she will stand over here without looking at each other. What we call today, speak on the phone or text. Same idea. You don't see anything, but you talk to someone. And what do you think they're going to talk about 2,000 years ago? They're not putzim like people today. About the weather, he's going to say about the Gemara he learned today in Yeshiva. She's going to say about the Navi she learns today in Bet Yaakov. You got the point? I just tricked you. There was no Bet Yaakov 2,000 years ago. <laughs> and there was no yeshiva for girls 2,000 years ago. And girls did not go to school until 50, 60 years ago. Only the past generation girls started to go to school. All girls were raised at home, taking care of children, taking care of the chickens and the sheep and the cows, sewing, kneading, taking care of food, cooking. That's why the Gemara says, if you want to marry a girl, check who her brothers are. If she has brothers that are Bnei Torah Tzadikim, marry her, if you like her, of course. If she has brothers of the Derech, Pushtakim, don't go to Yeshiva, don't learn, stay away from her. Today, this rule doesn't apply at all. But it applied until 78 years ago. Why it doesn't apply today? Because 100, 200, 300 years ago, no girls went to Yeshiva. They didn't know how to read, they didn't know how to write, they didn't know any Torah, they didn't know Chumash, they didn't know Gemara, they didn't know Halakha, nothing. Everything they learn, they learn from the brothers. When they come home and they learn in the house with the candle or with the, with the, with the menorah, and whatever she hears in the house, she learns. The brothers learn, so she hears. Alacha, mukze. So she knows slowly, slowly what Judaism is. Why? Because she has good brothers. If her brothers are in the street gambling with chicken, throwing all kinds of coins, and they do not, she doesn't know anything from her life. How do you want to marry her? What kind of kids are you going to have? But today, girls go to yeshiva. She can be smarter than all her boy brothers. And I've seen it all the time. Sometimes the girl is more than all the boys. Why? Because she got her own education. So the doctors say maybe they will speak in both sides of the wall. The chachamim say, Yamut. Let him die 
and he, she would not speak to him from the other side of the wall. Meaning, even without a vision, just with the thought, it's already better he will die that he will not contaminate but Israel. No matter what they did, the Chachamim say, let him die, let him die, let him die. In the end, they didn't agree. The Gemara asks, if a woman wants to do laundry in a neighborhood, she didn't have a laundry machine like today, pressing a few buttons, and then dryer, Baruch Hashem, today Hashem helped us. Life, physically, it's much easier. But in the old days, do you know how you did laundry? You have to dig a hole in the ground in the neighborhood with consent from all the neighbors. Everybody agreed because it's a mutual property, the neighborhood. So the, all the neighbors have to give you permission. You make a hole in the ground. You put cement on a side, like a big hole. You go to the lake 20 times and bring two buckets of water, throw it in with some old-fashioned soap, and you bring all the clothes, and you do laundry, and then you, do, you hang it on stripes for two, three days until it's ready. That's how they did laundry. The Gemara say now, what happens if a woman wants to do laundry? Does she have to go and ask permission from the neighbors? If a man wants to park his camel or donkey there, all the neighbors have to give the okay for that. But if a woman wants to do a hole in the ground to, to turn it into a laundry mat, does she have to get permission from the neighbors or she can do it without their consent and it's not a sin from the Torah of Masigat Gvul. Not allowed to do things in someone else's property. You have to get permission. The Gemara says she can do it without permission. Why? What's the alternative? That she's going to go to the lake to do laundry when men pass by, some goyim on horses. She's going to bend down to the lake and do laundry over there when all these guys pass there on the street and they look at her. And I don't have to tell you how women used to get dressed 2,000 years ago. Look at pictures from the Kotel from seven years ago. Women used to wear a tent. You know a tent that you go to camping? You know this big tent? That's how they looked. Six feet wide, the gowns were. Everything covered, everything, the head, the face. There's nothing you see. You don't see one inch of skin. But she will bend down and it's going to be a tent around her. Nobody can see her body, her hips, her this, shoulders, hair, neck, nothing. It's all covered. But she's going to bend down to do laundry. Who would dare to send a Jewish girl to do such a thing in public? Don't you know how much Hashem hates lack of modesty and lack of holiness? Don't you read in the Torah that it says, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you. I'm not with you. Why? Because you dress not modest. But I'm lighting candle. But how do you dress? Look how you dress. How can I come to your house? You read Tehillim. You, you pray by the candles, crying for your children. Short sleeves, everything open. Everything too short. How do you expect the Shekhinah to come in? You don't read in the Torah, Vaya Machanecha Kadosh, Vera'abecha Ervat Davar Veshav Macharecha. Every time I see something not modest, I have to go. I'm sorry, I cannot come. How many weddings Hashem did not show up? Under the chupa, everyone is naked. Everything is not modest. He cannot enter. 
Big problem. So, to send the Jewish girl to do laundry, it's out of the picture. She is going to do whatever she wants, and we can't sell gazelle. There's no gazelle. Why? The other option is better to die than to do. So who gave permission to behave like this? Problem with the women today, they are influenced by the chiloniot everywhere they go. They see how they dress, how they behave. They want to be like them. Instead of vomit and be so disgusted when they see the way they behave, like Baal Chaim, not people anymore. People are not people anymore. They are like Baal Chaim. In a safari, nobody cares about getting dressed. Instead of looking at that and be so allergic and so disgusted, all she does is trying to be like her. Now I heard there's new wigs. Nobody in the world can tell that it's fake. Why do you want people to think that it's your natural hair? It's Hashem hates it. If everybody would think that you walk without Kisui Rosh, every second is Chilul Hashem. Even if your hair is covered, because nobody believes that it's covered. The Chilonim, everyone would think, what kind of a religious woman she is? She walks without hair cover. Ah, these religious people are all fake. Look at her. She's trying to be a model from a magazine. This is a religious woman? Chilul Hashem every second. Same thing when a guy is a Baal Tshuva and he has tattoos in his body. Instead of hiding these tattoos now when he walks out, he walks with short sleeves. What a kippah, tzitzit, everything. I said to one guy, why you walk with all your tattoos? Wear long sleeves. It's Chilul Hashem everywhere. No, the people could see what I used to be, but I'm not like this anymore. But they don't know it. Chilul Hashem is in the eyes of the person that looks. That's what they understand, that you're faker. What, is, what kind of religious person make tattoos? He goes on the beach. There's a beach for religious people. Why are you taking off your shirt? Better you stay with the shirt. You want the whole world to see the picture of the woman that you draw on your back or on your own. One guy put a woman with, you know, with no clothes on his left arm when he was Chiloni, here in Israel. Now he sent Rabovadi himself a question. When I come to put filin every day, I see my ex-girlfriend from 20 years ago tattooed on my, show, on, my, on my arm, and that's where that filin has to be. Imagine this. Imagine this. People don't think. They do. And then they deal with the consequences. Hashem, I just want to give some time for questions. I conclude those topics that I was asked to mention. And Bezrat Hashem, I hope that people will just take it to consideration. Not just go home and tomorrow it's an old day and they go back to normal and they forgot this night. None of what I say is fanatic. Don't let the Satan fool you. It's not even the beginning of being fanatic. You don't really know what fanatic is. This is the most lenient halachot, what I just told you here today. That's mandatory. There are much more extras. I never talk about extras in my lecture. Never. Only the minimum halacha, minimum. Why? I don't want to discourage people. They say, oh, it's too hard. Too hard. I only say what you must do. Meaning, more, there's more levels. You get to it on your own. I want to get you to above the red line. Pass. If you get 60 out of 100, I'm happy. 
At least you didn't fail. In Israel, to fail, you need below 55. 54, you fail. 55, you passed. That's the law. That's when I was a student. So if you got 56, I'm happy. At least you passed. You're not the best student, but you passed. That's why I don't go to you to 90 or, or 100. No. Just what's really mandatory. Bezrat Hashem, any questions about what we spoke here tonight? Any question? Everyone is in shock except one. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you, Rabbi. I remember there's a story in the Gemara about a rabbi sees a man carrying a knife and he goes into a building and he comes out and the knife is dripping with Dripping with blood. But he's not, but the rabbi says, what can we do? There's no witnesses and there is no warning. I think that's a story. Right. So I want to ask, let's suppose Israeli government does to shoot for now and decide we're getting rid of all the justice system in Israel. From now on, we're going to deal with things according to Jewish law. In other words, this is a bank robber out there or someone going to molest a child. We can only take him off the streets if we two kosher witnesses and if there's warning. So I'm just not sure how it's going to work in practical terms. Okay, very good question. Everything you say is correct, except one detail that you are missing, which change the entire results. The, some laws in the Torah, in our eyes today, 3,300 years later, look a little bit strange and lenient. Like you say, someone touched a kid, or someone raped a woman, so she has to marry him. All kinds of things that we cannot understand. How can it be? So first of all, I want you to know Whatever the Torah say to do, this is mandatory. But the Torah also gave the king and the Sanhedrin permission to do whatever they wish. For instance, they can put you in jail if they, if they see too many people molesting or too many thieves. They decide not only that you're going to pay double, we're going to put you 10 years in prison. Meaning they can add more strict laws according to the needed scenario. The king, for instance, he can declare, anyone who would not learn Torah, I will execute him, like Hizkiyahu did. Where does it say in the Torah that someone that's not learning Torah has to be killed by a sword? You don't have such thing in the Torah, right? The Torah didn't give a physical punishment in this world for someone who's not learning Torah. He's going to have to deal with his problem in Olam Abba. But the king can say, you're not going to learn Torah from 8 in the morning to 6 in the evening, you'll be dead. Why? Hashem gave him the power. The king is above Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin is above what the laws, the, the dry law of the Torah. So that's one thing you should know. A lot of people don't know it, but the Torah, the Chachamim can make, like David HaMelech, he made the halacha of Yichud. According to the Torah, a boy and a girl can be in an isolated room, locked with the window shades down. Why? Because in the time of the Torah, no man would dare to touch a woman that is not his wife, or the other way around. After 300 years, they started to see that some people are not as modest when they isolate together with a girl. So right away, they gathered together and they made a decree. Yichud. You cannot be, in a, and they made all the laws of Yichud. And that's 3,000 years already. It's going on. Why? Because according to the necessary scenario, if we see that something goes wrong, the Torah says, Here is my fence, 
if my fence is not enough, make another fence. Right? Like they do in the Israeli government. In the beginning, they say, get a vaccine. And you won't have to sit in quarantine. Then come the Omicron. And, uh, oh, vaccine is not good anymore. So you're going to have 14 days quarantine with the vaccine. Why? Because we saw that even people with the vaccine may get it. So you know what? We're very sorry. There was, the vaccine was good for Delta and for the original COVID. But for this new thing, you still need quarantine. And PCR. And another PCR. And three days later, PCR. Why? Another fence. And another fence. The more fences you make, the less people will die. Right? Well, same thing in the Torah. But there's one more thing. Some of the laws of the Torah is very logical, but we lived in such a rotten society that in our eyes we are so defected when it comes to our Ashkafa, our ideology, <coughs> that in our eyes the laws of the Torah do not make sense. I'll give you an example. The best example is a man raped a woman, destroyed her life, obviously. It's like a murder, more or less like a murder. Some would say more, some would say less, but we all understand that it's a horrible crime. So now the Torah says, if she agrees, he must marry her. He must marry her. If she, if she doesn't agree, obviously, he can force her. He cannot kill her, rape her and now and kill her again. It, what kind of a normal woman will agree to marry someone who just attacked her? Don't you think that Hashem knew something that you and I know and every fool today in the world knows it? Everybody would ask the same question. What do you think? We are smarter than Hashem? We have to break our head to understand His divine logic. Now I'll explain to you what is the logic. Today, if a woman is not a virgin, it's not the end of the world, unfortunately. She can still get married and people will take care and whatever happened, happened. In the old days, if a woman was not a virgin in the time of wedding, now one man in the world would agree to marry her, even by the goyim. Rashi writes, that all the French goyot in France were all kept their virginity. Why? Because they know they won't be able to get married. They would make all the other sins, but they make sure to come to the wedding that the, the husband would think that she never been with another man. Why? Everybody understood it. Like by the Arabs, it's still like this. So now, if a woman already lost her life, meaning he did what he did to her, nobody else would marry her. It's either she will marry him or she will stay by her parents for the rest of her life. Now what happens if the guy comes to her and says, Sarah, I'm so sorry, I'm such a fool, I couldn't control myself, I really love you, I, my dream was always since I saw you, young girl, to marry you, I would give my life to marry you, I'll, I saved a lot of money, my father is rich, I'm going to buy you a mansion, I'm going to give you five servants. I'm going to get you the best horse and carriage. I'll be your servant. Give me a chance to make it up to you. Look, I went to yeshiva. I learned. I became a Talmud Chacham. Well, anyway, no one will marry you. So I made a stupid mistake. But give me a chance. I'll make you the queen of the world. And now she has to think. What's my options? I tell him, get lost. And I have to live in my parents' living room for the rest of my life with my angry dad. It's, a hell, it's hell on earth. Why don't I give him a chance to do tshuva? You understand? 
she obviously can say, I don't want you, get lost, and that's it. There's nothing he can do about it. But the Torah says, if she would agree, he will be forced to marry her. Meaning, if you don't like her to be a wife one day, make sure not to touch her. If you decided to attack someone, you're going to be stuck with her forever. That's actually a great fence. Because if a person just has a desire for the moment, he's going to have to deal with that one minute desire for the rest of his life. And everybody will point at him, look, he's with her because this is what he did to, to her. I'll give you a final example and maybe we'll finish here. The Torah says if a psycho, psycho raped an animal, you have to kill the psycho and you have to kill the animal. So we have to kill the psycho, it's a danger to society. Who knows what's next with this crazy guy? But why the animals have to be killed? Not only the animal had an abuse, you have to execute the sheep or the cow now? The answer is, that's another law who does not make sense today. Nobody understands this law. Kill the guy, I understand, but why? Why kill the animal? The animal is not guilty. The answer is, two things will happen if you leave the animal alive. Every second for the next 20, 30 years is going to be massive Chilul Hashem. Every man who will pass by and see that cow, here is the cow that this psycho raped. That's the cow that they execute this guy because of that cow. People would come to the place to point. Remember this guy that they executed him the other day? It's because of this sheep. It's because of this cow. That means 20 years of non-stop Chilul Hashem, which it's the worst Avira in the Torah. Chilul Hashem. Cannot do tshuva on it until the time of death. Plus, plus, Hashem said that because of this animal, even though it's not the animal's fault, reality-wise, my son lost his life and his olam And this cow would continue to walk around and Jew lost his eternity for it. With the combination of the Chilul Hashem, get rid of the animal from the world. Anyway, the animal, sooner or later, someone will eat them. Make sure it's done right now. You see, when you begin to understand the deep logic of the Torah, we, you find that we are the fools, not the Torah. I can give you another example. Shiluach HaKen. The Torah, in one hand, say you have to be very, very merciful to animals. You have to feed them. You have to take care of them. You cannot torture them. And then the Torah says, if you find a bird in a nest, get rid of the mother, take the chicks, put them somewhere to die, and thanks to that you would live long life in this life and in the next world. Make any sense? Complete contradiction. If you don't feed the animals before, before you feed yourself, you are a sinner. And then you tell me to go and torture the bird? What's the logic here? The answer is, every Jew has an obligation to do kiruv. You have to save souls. Not just Rabbi X or Rabbi Y have to do it. It has to be every Jew from the morning to the night, every day of his life. Problem is, not everyone knows how to do it. You have an obligation to circumcise your boys. But you don't know how to do it, so you call them Moel. You have an obligation to teach your kids Gemara. Some men don't know how to do it, so they put them in a cheder with a melamed. So I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to pay to someone to do it. I do not know how to slaughter a cow. I'll go to the butcher and pay him for his slaughtering. So now, 
we have an obligation to save souls. Since we don't know how to do it, what do we have to do? We have to give people that knows how to do it money. Let me be a part of your mitzvah. You're giving out CDs, let me sponsor. You're making an evening like this, let me sponsor. You're putting videos on YouTube, let me help you cut videos and post them. You're doing a seminar, let me donate the tzitziot and the books. Everybody can do it, you don't have to be a speaker. You have a lot of money, use it to save souls. Why? When you come to do the mitzvah, Avovadia Yosef once did it and he was crying and apologizing to the bird. I'm so sorry. Like this, crying. I'm so sorry. Ani mitzta'er, what can I do that Hashem commanded me to do this? Please forgive me. He's talking to the bird. My says Hashem kach tziva. He got rid of the bird and did the mitzvah. Now, when we're going to do this, this mitzvah, we, it's also going to break our heart. We feel so bad for the bird. Poor mother. Well, how can we do such thing? Taking the children from the mother. So you go up to Shamayim, 20 years later, and you have your trial. And the trial goes minute by minute your entire life, and you reach that moment that you see how you had tears when you had to separate from the mother to the children. It was breaking your heart. And Hashem say, look how you did mitzvah shiluach hakem. Very well. I told you to do this mitzvah and you did it against your personal will. But what, let me ask you one question. Listen to this brilliant move. Let me ask you one question. When you separate the mother from the children, how horrible you felt? Hashem, I felt Terrible. I wanted to die that moment. For a week I felt bad for the for this miserable mother. And Hashem said, you should. That's the purpose of this mitzvah. The question is, how didn't you cry one tear your entire life that 80% of my Jewish children are totally lost? and have no connection to me, and married goyim, and became gays, and became murderers, and became mechalalei Shabbat, and became haters of the Torah, and fighting the yeshivot, and became reform monsters. And all your life, even though you were religious, you did not do one thing to bring back my children to me. Why you cry for the bird, but you don't cry for me? Then your case is finished. That's why it says in the Torah, Arur asher lo yakim et divrei ha-Torah azot ve'amar kol ha'am amen. Someone who would not establish the Torah publicly should be cursed. Arur, like the snake, and everybody screamed amen. He didn't say Arur asher lo ilmad et ha-Torah. Arur asher lo yelamet ha-Torah. Arur asher lo yakim. Yakim means the Torah is in the mud. You have to pick it up, clean it, and lift it up. Here is what Hashem said. And everybody has to learn. And if you don't do it, if you do not know how to do it, give the professionals who know how to do it. But people live in their own dream. Another car, and another house, and business class. If you're a rich man, right? I can afford business class. Yes, you can. If you give millions of dollars to save souls and to support Torah, fly business class. Why not? 
שהם גבים מיליאנס, enjoy, sleep well, come to Israel, you'll be refreshed, can go eat breakfast, you're not falling asleep, no problem. But if they come to you and beg you to help and you don't want to give anything, and then you burn four or five thousand dollars just for ten hours that you have a comfortable chair, what do you think is going to happen to you in the judgment day? That Hashem is going to say, why did you spend five thousand dollars extra for the flight? Because you couldn't sit squished like this for ten hours? No problem, I understand. You're spoiled. You don't want to suffer, so you want to lay down. But that's more important than saving 20 swords? With this money you could have made 20 ballet tshuva, or 40, or 70. Imagine all these rich people who were stingy and did not give donations, when they will find out that every time they flew business class, it's another 30, 40 souls that could have been saved. Imagine in a time of the Holocaust, that Jews in America who lived like kings, while they were burning their cousins and, 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 and relatives in Germany and Poland, right? And they live and made weddings in the world of Astoria and in Plaza Hotel, just like nothing is happening in Europe. And imagine now if every time they spend $2,000 on a trip or a hotel or in a restaurant, if Hashem would come and say to them, you know, with this dinner you just ate in Manhattan, you could have saved 10 Jews from the end of Eichmann and bring them to America. Anyone would dare to go to a restaurant? Anyone would dare to take business class knowing that business class just cost the life of 20 Jews? So if the body is no one will dare, the soul is a trillion times more important than the body because the soul remains for eternity. So if you can save souls, cutting some of your luxury nonsense, how do you dare to prefer your stomach and your stupid nap while others are destroyed every minute and intermarriage everywhere? So if you give a lot, at least you have what to say. Shame, I also did that. I also did, I remember one time I had a debate with a big Chabad rabbi in New York. He just showed up to my lecture with all his students. So what was the argument? He argued with the, that I heard that you told people it's better that they go to this shul to, than to pray in our shul. So I came to debate you. We had a debate about all kinds of things, and then I asked him, tell me, can I ask you a question? It doesn't burn your heart that you spend tens of millions of dollars putting the picture of the Rebbe in the subway and in Williamsburg Bridge and in half a building in West Side Highway. It cost hundreds of millions of dollars that with this money we could have made a million ballet tshuva. I love the Rebbe. I'm not saying he's not a tzaddik. There's a lot of different tzaddikim. But why burning so much money on all these pictures? Everywhere in the world it costs fortune. So he said to me, but we also do Kiru. But we also do this. I said, but you could have done a hundred times more. What do you think will happen when you stand in front of Hashem? When he's going to show you that a hundred million dollars from what the donations that people gave you went on pictures all over the world in some goish areas that barely one Jew would see. So you know what he answered me? For us, it's better that a Jew will look at the face of a holy man one time than everything else. Look, can you believe such an answer? What's the point of even answering such an answer? And that was the end of it. Then I asked him final question. I asked him, tell me, with all due respect to the Rebbe, 
הוא אסביגר, דרבה או דארי הקדוש? He said, of course דרבה. I said, okay, who was bigger, the Rebbe or Moshe Rabbeinu? So he said to me, you know why you're asking this question? Because you don't know who the Rebbe was, meaning he is greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. So you understand what's happening in today's world? Chaz v'shalom, I'm not saying anything as the Rebbe. The Rebbe is one of the leaders of the generation, he did a lot of wonderful things. And a lot of other Rabbanim that were here, of Moshe Feinstein, of Avigdor Miller, of Ovadia, of Eliashev, and hundreds of others. And everybody deserves a lot of respect for what they achieve. But to turn such a thing to such... I say to him, common sense. Common sense. If these pictures were for free, put it everywhere, of course. It costs me. You know how much it costs to put a picture in a whole subway? In every subway? You know how much it costs to eat? Just the sign on Williamsburg Bridge that used to be, it's six million dollars a year. Half of the building in West Side Highway was a big picture. Do you know how much a commercial like this cost? On West Side Highway, half of the building covered with a picture. Cost millions of dollars. So I say, if you come and do a lot of other kiruv and you also waste your money on things that are not so important, at least you want to answer, like he answered me. We also do this. If he did not do that, what would he say? At least he tried to come out of my question by saying, we also do those things that you mentioned. But who's to tell you that it's enough? That's why I say, forget about the shtuyot, business class, this. Spend your money, invest it, because you wire it to your next world, remember. Once you give tzedakah to a kosher cause, it's like wiring the money to your eternal world. Once you did it, that's it, it was wired. Once the wire left your account, it's yours. It went to overseas, don't have to worry, the government looking for it, that people wants to sue you, the money was sent. Any more questions before we finish? Yes. The Rebbe was talking before about teens and how to love them. Yes. What's the balance between loving them and telling them that they're dead wrong? Some tough love. One hand is tough and the other hand is merciful. You have to give them a lot of compliments when they do right and incentive and benefits and gifts. And you have to be strict with them when they do something wrong that they know it doesn't pay to be wicked. <coughs> but if you do it with love, meaning they know that you do it because you care about them, it will work. If you just want to be a policeman or some SS soldier, it's not going to work. They will rebel more. So it's about where your heart is. I'll give you an example. I'm very, very successful with Hasidish kids that went off the derech. More than anyone. Why? I'm not Hasidish. I don't speak Yiddish. I don't have beard like Hasidim. I don't have peos. I'm not Satmer. I don't, you know, I am not, I'm basically not, nothing in common with them. They come from a different world than the world I come. So why do they love me so much? Why am I able to take a Hasid that became completely secular, even though he dressed like Hasid, but he's not Shomer Shabbos, and all of a sudden in one month he became Fum again? Why? Because you're Shomer Shabbos and not a Hasid. No, I tell you why. Because, yeah, because I identify with him. He comes to cry to me about what he went through. I identify with him. I tell him, you know, you're right. That shouldn't even happen to you. That's, there's Judaism and there's Hasidut. Hasidut is extra. It's like a commando. First, let's be soldiers. Then we worry about uh, extra this, extra that. You're right. You're, you're 100%. What do you think? Hashem doesn't love you if you don't dress Hasidish? Oh, 
sorry, I can be just regular Jew, dress normal and keep the mitzvot and learn two, three hours a day. Yes, and I'm not a shaykh And you're 100% approving of it? All of a sudden, I'm his biggest hero. You're also anti all his rabbis. Not necessarily. Saying, I, I have nothing struggle. against the rabbi. I'm just saying that finally he found someone. That, that's why I heard hundreds of times the sentence. My father made me a chusid. You made me a yid. You know how many times I heard this sentence? What does it mean? Oh, until now I didn't even know what Judaism is. Now I know the Torah is divine. Now I know you can prove that it's divine. Now I know the reward and this and that. I know the explanation to a lot of things that did not give me rest. You understand? I'm allowed to ask everything. Just because I have heresy in my mind and I, I'm questioning Hashem and I'm questioning the Torah or the Gemara or Shulchan Aruch or I'm questioning the Rambam, I'm not anymore a Sheget. I told one uh, very righteous Hasid that deals with teenagers. I told him, if you are a Rebbe in a class with 30 Hasidim and one of them asks heresy questions, how do you know the Gemara is divine? How do you know the Rambam knew what he's talking about? How do you know there's no mistakes in Shulchan Aruch? Maybe oral Torah, a lot of that the Rabbanim made it up. How do you know this and how do you know we really got the Torah like this? And there's a lot of questions. What would you do with someone like this? You throw him out? You call his father and tell him your son is a Shegetz, is an Apikores, take him out of yeshiva, we cannot have him here? Or you should admire him more than the whole class. Finally, one kid that is thinking. Everyone is following the robot. Finally, one that can think. He asks good questions. Give him the answers. We have the answers. What are you afraid of? Every question they may ask, I have the answers. And I'm nothing. There's much bigger people that knows how to answer. Everything you have the answer. There's not one question someone can ask today that we don't have the answer. Everything. With proof. Why not give it to him? Rav Saperman from Toronto, Tzadik Talmid Chacham, started to go to yeshivas to teach about the oral Torah that is divine. They told him, what are you talking about? What do you think, that anyone here doesn't think Torah Shebaal Pei is divine? He said, I will prove it to you. He walked into the class, <coughs> Litvish yeshivas. He asked, anyone here has any doubt about Torah Shebaal Pei? Nobody raised his hand. The Rebbe said, see, we don't need your, your classes here. He said, Rebbe, please excuse us now. He left out. And he said, now when the Rebbe is out, I promise it will stay between us. Anybody here have doubts? Half of the class rest their hands. They learn Gemara all day. And they don't even believe that the Gemara is from Hashem. <laughs> How can you succeed if all his life is going to have these doubts? Very difficult to follow something that you have 10, 20, 50% doubt if it's divine. But today we have the answers to everything. I can prove to you the Gemara is divine. I can prove to you every word of Chazal is divine. I can prove to you the Chumash is divine. The words are, I can prove to you everything. The Zohar, the knowledge that we have over there, no human being could have ever had besides the creator of the world. That's it. Once you see this information over there that no human being was able to know, not then and not even today, without technology and equipment, then you ask yourself, how the writer of the Torah knew about the number of the stars and the renewal of the moon and all the fish in the ocean 
and all the animals and the four exceptional animals out of two million, who would know such thing? My film Torah and Science, everyone who watches it immediately gets the point that the Torah is divine and the oral Torah is divine and there's life after death and the purpose of life and reward and punishment. So many things in one film. After that, they can never go back. You know, this seminar was very unique. Usually we start soft and the last three, four hours of Shabbat, we give the punchline. I don't know what happened to me. Maybe I was half drunk, not from alcohol. And I started very aggressive. Even while I'm doing it, I was thinking, why am I doing it? I usually keep this kind of speeches to the last, after I gave them all the proofs. Because right away from their body language, I get the impression that everyone here is a believer in Hashem. I, I don't want to waste two hours to prove to them there is a God. Let's go right away to the Torah. And I even ask them, anyone has a doubt here if the Torah is from Hashem? Nobody. I said, don't be embarrassed, tell me. Nobody. I said, let's move to the next gear. <laughs> For Shammai told me, Shammai is the number one in speaking the truth. Without politics. Some organization don't say this, don't speak about that, don't speak about punishment, don't mention that. So Shammai said, just go full force. Everybody should know the truth of the Torah. So he told me, usually you keep it for tomorrow, for, for Shabbat, now it's Thursday evening. What happened? Some people got angry. They got angry. Wow, what is this? This guy is scary. So I told him, Shammai, don't worry. The human psychology goes like this. Once the doctor told the patients that he's sick and that's what's going to happen to him soon. That's it, he knows it already. He gets angry, he screams, he kills the doctor, he leaves, he doesn't come to the next appointment, doesn't make any difference. He already knows what's going to be the end of Mechalel Shabbat. That's it. He knows, I show him a few proofs that the Torah is divine, he knows what's the end of Mechalel Shabbat, he can scream until tomorrow. What do you think is going to happen? A month later, he'll have an accident. What's the first thing come to his mind? Hashem is punishing me. Uh, next thing, IRS. Shem is punishing me. Next thing he gets sick, Shem is punishing me. He can never run away from the truth. Once you planted the seed in, that's it. There's no way to erase it. Once you saw something, a person just found out his father is not his father. He said, no, no, we were joking with you. No, no, he didn't understand. Forget it. It's already too late. Once he found out, he saw the document, and that's it. He can never take it out of his head. You can't convince him, forget what you saw. Pretend that he's your father. It's not going to work. You cannot tell a person, forget about what you heard from the rabbi. Forget about Shabbat. Erase that. Forget you went to that lecture. You cannot forget. So what do you care? Your job is to take the seed that was here and plant it in a person's mind. That's it. Leave it to Hashem, the rest. He's going to groom and put water and send them to other people. The knowledge is there. That's it. It's priceless. Any more questions? Yes. I want to ask you, before Moshiach comes, uh, we're talking about the Gemara where it says, uh, so the Yeshua will come and the money, you mentioned the money is going to drop. And, Gemara says. Right. And also Hamas. Yeah. And also, one more thing. 
we didn't mention this about Iran with the nuclear. Where, 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 all this that is coming, like, it's coming all at me. Yes. The Gemara say what's going to happen. With all these tragedies and problems, who is going to get saved? Someone that has Torah and Gmilut Hasadim. Someone who learns Torah a lot, he will be saved. Someone who does a lot of chesed, donation, volunteering, organizing, cleaning, you know, chesed, driving people he will also be saved. Because Hashem knows not everyone can be Talmud Chacham. Not everyone is there to understand Torah, to learn. Some people, are, their mind is blocked. So what's going to be with them? They're not going to have a chance to get saved? No, they have a chance. Organize Torah lecture. Spread Torah lecture. Donate money to save souls. Donate to yeshivot. Cook for yeshivot. Help the sick. I know one doctor in China. Everyone who comes to her Israeli that lives in China and doesn't have money, she takes care of them for free. Here you go. That's something that can save a person. Yomadin. Doing chesed to people. Not everything business and money. You know, the mind is full of examples. So we have the solution. You know, it's like we have the antibody. When they inject a biological weapon, sometimes they make an antibody. Antidote. You get it and you get saved. If not, you die. Why? Same thing as Torah says. I'm going to bring all these problems, but I'm telling you what's going to save you. Torah and Gemilot Hasadim. Invest in it. Any more questions? Why don't they say people who are going to be saved Shomer Shabbos? Why don't they leave Shomer Shabbos? Shomer Shabbos is needless to say. If a person is not Shomer Shabbos, is not considered a Jew in Halacha. It's written in the Torah that someone is not Shomer Shabbat, Hashem cuts his soul from eternity. So you don't need to repeat this. It's obvious, if you're not Shomer Shabbat, there's nothing to even talk about. And remember, in the time of the Torah, everyone was Shomer Shabbat. Everyone. For 1,500 years, there was now one Mechalel Shabbat besides Lofchad. In some countries, until 220 years ago, you didn't have one Mechalel Shabbat until Moshe Mendelssohn started. The Ascala movement. So it's needless to say. Besides being Shomer Shabbat, let's see what else. Today, if a person is not Shomer Shabbat, what, what's, what's, his, what's are his options? There's no options. What about the punishment for, like you were talking about the stoning, the punishment, that doesn't do anything for the soul? Like, shouldn't it be some sort of atonement? Yes, if he does Shuvah and he gets stoned and he did a lot of other righteous things, he will have Ulam Abba. He got punished in this world. Oh, so but today there is no execution, that's the problem. Today there's no Sanhedrin. So if a person died in Chalel Shabbat, if he did Shuvah before, he got saved, he did Shuvah. If he didn't do Shuvah and he died in Chalel Shabbat, he has only one hope that Hashem will reincarnate him again for another chance. But if his reincarnations are finished, he's done. Because his last life was Chalel Shabbat, everything goes after the seal. Once it finished, we check. You're tzaddik, you have olam haba. You're not chazashalom, you can lose it. Remember, in the Mishnah it said those are the Jews who have a share to the world to come, and those are the Jews who do not have share to the world to come. Don't forget, there's a whole list there. A lot of people who spread heresy lose their share to the world to come. And there's a lot of heresy today. Like if it doesn't have all of 
דרמב״ם רייץ נכרתים ועובדים לעד ולעולמי עולמים. They get cut and destroyed for eternity. Now there's a big argument, what is this eternity? Trillions of years? Or it will finish one day and then anyway Hashem will save that soul. Because there is a verse, Ki lo idach mimenu nidach. In the end no one will be lost, meaning everyone has some kind of a correction. Which makes sense, why? A billion years a person suffered, it's not enough. Even the worst rasha, eventually if Pini pay for this and pay for that and pay for that. At one point it has to be finished, the punishment. So I suggest let's not count on a miracle and let's not take the risk. People tell me, how do you know? In the end they will have Olam Abba. So maybe. Maybe yes, maybe not. Depends who you follow. But are you willing to take that risk and die in Chalel Shabbat that according to some you will never have a correction? You're willing to take that risk? You have to be a fool to take such a risk. Who will take such a risk to be destroyed for eternity with suffering? So, it's not worth it. Some experiments you don't do at home. You know how they say, don't do it at home? You don't want to be paralyzed. Any more questions? Yes, over there. By accident, in the time of Bet HaMikdash, he had to bring a sacrifice to Bet HaMikdash. It's called Korban Chatat. He takes a sheep, goes all the way to Jerusalem, gives it to the Kohen, the Kohen sacrifices it, he's doing a confession, and it's finished. Today, we don't have Bet HaMikdash. So, you should give, if a person accidentally was Mechalel Shabbat, you should take a value of a sheep and give it to Yeshiva or to Kiruv. That's my sacrifice. The Gemara Rabbi Ishmael said, I, lit, I moved the candle on Shabbat, I forgot, when the Bet HaMikdash will be built, meaning I'm going to be resurrected, first thing I will do is bring a sacrifice of Chatat, because they warned me, don't, don't put the candle with the oil next to you, that you may forget, and you don't have enough light, and you tilt the oil to increase the light, and you become Chalel Shabbat. And he said, I did not listen to the Chachamim, I wanted to learn Torah on Shabbat next to the candle with the oil and next, because I was too deep in the Torah I actually moved the candle on Shabbat accidentally now I owe Hashem a sacrifice of Chatat so today what are we going to do? we're going to wait until Bet HaMikdash will be built we might as well give Tzedakah and that will be the redemption the pen in New York $300 here by the Arabs probably 100 bucks yeah Yes, kaparot. What's the price of a chicken here in Israel? <coughs> a rooster, if you buy one. How much it costs? A chicken, a whole chicken in a farm. How much they sell it for? 20 shekels? Probably 6 bucks. In New York, 12 bucks. Everything double. You understand? Okay, I would like to thank everyone. Thank you, Shammai, for organizing this evening. We'll pray our feet now. Baruch Adonai, Lo'olam, Amen, Amen.